Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 77 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. My name is Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we are going to open the gates today mm-hmm. and finally talk about Sigmar 3.0. Yes. And this is the first of three episodes, as we talked about before. This one, we're really going to do deep dive into the rules, into the FAQ, basically into the into the general's handbook because that's where everything is which is great but that's kind of what it is yeah so we'll talk about the core rules the general's handbook things that are different things that you need to be aware of going to include a brief discussion on the faqs for those as usual you are recommended to just go ahead and (laughs) read your army but if you want to know kind of what's changed for a lot of different things we're going to hit a high level for it Mm mm-hmm And remember, this being a three-part series, we're going to talk about the theory of what it is that we have going on here. Episode 78, part two of this, is going to be us talking about what we saw in practice. And part three, we're going to lay out with what it is that we've learned pushing towards a forward state and how it is that you can start planning in 3.0 with what it is that you have. And hopefully we're going to try to dig down in a little bit in the tactics, you know, some of the endless spells, battle plans, things like that that we normally do right away. We're going to spend some more time on those just to give our thoughts and the way that some things are playing differently than they were in the old version. And when you talk about playing, you know, with experience, we're going to be going to an actual five-game tournament. So it's a full-fledged Sigmar tournament now, and it'll be the first one after that we're going to review the rules after that. So, Mm -hmm. Okay, then I think we're on our way. Yeah, Um, so rather than having an 11-hour podcast that Dan has to (laughs) edit, it'll be three episodes. Yes, which will be good. Yeah, Yeah. that'll be good. All right. Good for your sanity. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's head on over to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, your hobby stuff is... I think we've both been pretty damn busy. Well, with a event deadline on the horizon, (laughs) uh, yes, that tends to spur onward some forward decision-making. I have been painting a lot of Soulblight models. Mm -hmm. I have painted 22 zombies in the last 24 hours yes so it's been good i've posted photos of uh the belladama i painted and the vangorian lord and i finished up the last of the five blood knights between i think our last episode in here mm-hmm. so just plugging away and knocking stuff out nothing nothing unusual about it i would suppose <laughs> uh, but it certainly has you know made me you know have to pick and choose what I'm doing in the evening. But thankfully with basketball in the end game as it were, we don't have that competing for as much of my time. Right. So it's right. become a little bit easier. Truth. Uh you have 
painted a fair few things Man, in the I, last two weeks. And you know, three the, weeks. the weird thing about this is you talked about, you know, preparing for the event. It's like you always note your list, like right up until the last minute. If you don't have those models painted, you're like, oh God, now I gotta paint those. It's crazy how that yeah. never happens. <laughs> I. <laughs> I have thousands of models. Yeah, you you do. Um, but I've got this I'm transition something. going on, you know, where I'm transitioning between my Nighthaunt and my Soul Blight. When so. will it ever be enough for me? Uh, never. This never. is going to be. This Let's is going to turn into a therapy session. Episode 156, and Brendan is still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had these models on my shelf and I needed to... Okay, so yeah, I painted 20 Grimgas Reapers and 40 zombies and Gorslav, who turned out great. I really like him. And I have a Vampire Lord that I finished and she's done. And all those things, hopefully, at some level, I will play uh, in... And we got Felbats, but I haven't finished painting them yet. But all that stuff, including kind of rolling some of that soul blight in his allies now to give that a try i'll be done and ready yeah so got yeah i didn't have any problem with chain rafts because i had plenty of those i would <laughs> no matter I how would many hope i brought so. me, got like 80 of those they were good cool stuff i was gonna paint a vengorian lord or lock of eye and then just after some games we played and a lot of conversations we had it's like no i'm gonna do a couple other things with those points and see how it turns out so we'll find out jeez Almost done a week from today with our first tournament. Yeah, we'll be finishing up round one about now. Yep. And the one thing I have left, though, that I have not painted is my display board. And it's coming along. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah, it'll. I think it'll turn out real nice. So that's really the project for this week. Yeah, I think that's it for hobby. In terms of new stuff, there is not a whole lot of new stuff coming out. I thought I saw a couple of Cadian boxes that were out under new things. I think they're kind of riding the Sigmar wave at this point with people buying that stuff. The only thing that we know is coming, which is new, quote, but it's not here and for another month or so, is they had a couple of we got two new videos. Well, we, oh. A couple of videos of the new Kill Team yes. game. And it's supposed to be tying into a new 40K campaign, the Octavius campaign. So, I mean, the, of course, they were cool videos, you know, Orcs and Death Corps of Krieg, which was awesome. But uh, other than that, what else, do we have anything else that's really... We know sometime in August we're getting new battle tomes for Orc War Clans and Stormcast. Both in the same month, I believe, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yes. To okay. go along with the Dominion release... Those are getting two new books, primarily one for Cruel Boys, in addition in the Warclans book, and that will probably give you a good opportunity to you know, tweak whatever it is you have to tweak in that book. And then, of course, a new Stormcast Battle Tome, which, <laughs> after our Soulblight episode, Cindy asked us why this episode was so long, and we said, Cindy, there's other Battle Tomes that are even longer, and she said, maybe make that one two parts. <laughs> You know, that might be a decent suggestion, honestly, after editing that thing. Yeah, I may just do that. You know, this reminds me of when Space Marines come out in 40K. That's just this huge, mungus, giant tome with so much stuffed into it. You know, I mean, a lot of people consider the Stormcast the Space Marines of Sigmar. Well, they certainly have War Scrolls like they're the Space Marines of Sigmar. Yeah, and they are poster boys and girls for Sigmar for sure. There's no question about that. I dread that battle tome. Yeah, it's it's going to be nice. Warclans is also going to be huge, because that's going to be three armies in one book. Yep. yep. Oh, my God. Well, we're definitely going to split Stormcast. There's no question. We'll we have to do to something. Do yeah, we'll figure it out, as always. So those are the things that are down in the pipe coming along. Games played. Man, we've you've gotten a bunch of games. I have gotten a bunch of games. There's the degenerate in me is coming back out. <laughs> you and I have played two. Yes, you and I have played two games, and you're playing your Night Haunt. 
I have played, so those two games, I played a game against Dave and his Nurgle, mm-hmm. and new Nurgle demons post Broken Realms Techlist are very good. Okay. And having all the extra command points now available is like the one thing that army really needed. It's pretty good. There's <laughs> something there. Okay. And with the new FAQs, they're even better. And then I played four games against our buddy Nick. Yeah. And so that he could get some practice in before Circle City. With his big buddy. He's bringing mm. Kragnos, we know. Yeah. So. And I have just been rolling out just different list and different army book, you know, different play style. I've been toying a lot with different army lists within Soulblight. Pretty consistently, the core is always formed by Invirkos, Belladama, Vampire Lord on Foot, Necromancer, and then. Graveguard, Unit of 20, and 30 Skeletons. Like, that's what I slot in first, and then I go, what do I want this list to do a little bit differently? So, mm-hmm. Vampire Lords on Zombie Dragons, Blood Knights, Maybe a Manfred. Zombies, I know you Manfred, Vangorian Lords, yeah. Dire Wolves, like, Radicar. I tried out in one of my games. Mm-hmm. I have a decision to make Monday nights on which one <laughs> I like the most. Okay. Yeah. It's always good to have choices. <laughs> I guess. This has been one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about Soulblight, but it's been absolutely infuriating, is I feel like every list I write is pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't feel like I've been able to, you know, just squeeze that rock for the last drop of water. Mm-hmm. That really frustrates me. Sure, like, I can't. I can't find that last. Can't like, find your five. That, that like <laughs> last eleventh, you know, gear on that knob to just turn it over to sure. and break it off at that. Yeah, the lists have done well. Every single one of them has done well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that makes it even harder. Yeah, like, <laughs> yep, for sure. I mean, I rolled out giants against Nick. I rolled out flesh eater courts. I rolled out ogres against you. It and just, then we played soul blight. Yeah, soul blight in one of the games. Yeah, like I know I'm playing soul blight. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. <laughs> what that list is going to be. I've had, you know, the tweaking I've done, I've really come back. I went away from having two coaches, and then I just had enough success with them. And it's not like they don't die, you know, but it's something that people have to deal with. You can't just let a coach sit and move around. If you don't commit enough to it, it becomes a problem. If you commit too much to it, you feel like an idiot. Yeah. There's like this magical sweet spot that you have to try and hit. And then they do their own little bit of healing and and regeneration and supporting the other units that are around it. Yeah. And it becomes this question of, do I kill the things around it and try and zero them? Or do I try and zero the coaches? And with one of the changes in the FAQ, we can talk about it now real quick. They are now totems, which means essentially they didn't get the hero keyword, but they're going to function like heroes because they can issue commands, Mm -hmm. which is real. And an 18 inch range is huge. So that really, really helps if you've got that command point or two that they can buff, like you said, some things up, which is very, very helpful. Yep. And they're all over the board, so yeah. So that's the games we have played, and again, we've got uh, video games. I've been playing Iron oh, Harvest. It turns yeah. out I finished the Polania campaign. Yes, so I'm on to the Rusviets. Talked about getting you on that. You seem to be enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. Every mission takes you know like around an hour. There are some that are shorter. There are some that are longer. And you and I were talking about the final mission for the Polanians, and thankfully, oh. we, we both had a very similar experience of how absolutely brutally difficult. And like, I'm just playing on normal, yeah. right? So yeah. there, there are probably better ways to have addressed you know, everything, but man, yeah. absolutely brutal final mission for the Polanians. And you know, the AI is good in this. I mean, it's competitive. It really, even though it does, it gets 
redundant in some of the mm-hmm. things it does. There are also times when it just throws stuff and you're like, where the heck did that come from? You're like, oh God, I've been waiting too long. <laughs> yeah. Like there was a, there's a Rusviet mech that is like this big slasher oh, effects yes. kind of thing. <laughs> and I had apparently waited too long to try and go get one of the factories mm-hmm. because they started sending these in the waves and I was like, oh no. <laughs> They're very heavily front armored, but thankfully at that point in the game, I had committed to a lot of very fast units and was Mm. able to hold it in place in one direction and then force rear armor damage the other way. But I'm really looking forward to the Rusviet campaign. I think the play style is going to line up pretty closely with what I like to do just from a a style perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. Every time they have their artillery rockets, I, I get just a little envious how much better <laughs> theirs are than, yeah. than mine. So Well, now you get them. So. Yeah, now I get them. Yeah, that's awesome. I have been playing just a little bit of Civ Six, but the change, and it's a major one, is I've been winning religious um, war hmm. victories. Because usually it was a, you know conquer the the capital kind of thing and i don't know why i've just been able to do all the advancements and the tech and everything else that i needed to give myself a huge advantage like i'll i'll have seven or eight units of apostles that will just like overwhelm i'll just throw them all at the shores of this foreign country and he just go around and start converting everything Hmm. and in the real killer is when you convert cities of theirs that have temples that can produce their own apostles if they convert to your religion they can only make apostles for your your religion religion. and it's like oh my god this is awesome so but i surprise myself because you don't actually have to convert everybody I thought you had to do that. Yeah, there's just a critical mass you yeah. have to hit. And all of a sudden, I'm like holding back because I want to do a conquest thing. It's like all of a sudden, the end cinematic comes up. I'm and like, you go, no, what? How? <laughs> and you go, wait, it's me. The weird thing, Brendan, is that it always rates you like, you know, they have all these famous people kind yeah. of thing. And it always rates you like eight or 10 lower than it does if you do conquest. And I'm like, wait a minute. I killed less people. Shouldn't I get more credit for that? But you don't. Right. It's well, Because, like, the longer the game goes, the more points you can acquire. Yeah, of course. It's just funny that... I don't know. As a, in a mid-game win, that's pretty good. Yeah, but it, it just doesn't take that into account, which is bizarre. But anyway, it's been fun. And playing differently like that has been really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Events, we have, of course, Circle City is just days away. Yep. By the time this is released, we'll almost be on the road. For heading down to Indianapolis. We have Rantathon again mm-hmm. this year, which is great at the end of July. Yep, it's, so that's uh, uh, July 31st to August 1st. They're going to get started about 10 a.m. on the 31st. I believe it's a 30 hours this year. Okay. So just like last year, you know, Dan and I have made a, a donation to the grand prize. I don't know if uh, Meff wants to say what it is yet. I don't know that he's announced it. but yeah, we'll hold off. Yep, so we'll wait for him. Just like last year, there's a lot of things to be won. There's a Swanesh army in there, I think. There's a Mega Gargant I saw. You know, mm-hmm. there's gift cards. There's a whole painted Cursed City uh, collection to be won. Wow. There's crazy. a few models to be won by either professional painters or persons who could be of their quality of work be mm-hmm. considered professional painters. So, great. As per usual, the charity monies are going to Mental Health America. Mm-hmm. There will be incentives unlocked at different levels within it. And check that out. If you haven't, he's at Mr. Underscore Mef on Twitter. His Twitch is, I believe it's Magical Mr. Mephisto. If you're unsure, right, just 
hit us up. Yeah. We'll send you in the right direction. Sure. Last year we raised over seven thousand dollars, and obviously, you know, you're looking to uh, match and exceed in a in a following year. So and hopefully, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Yep, that'll be really fun. Yeah, I'm that glad, was fun last year. I'm glad we've been able to put it together for a second time. The first year kind of just came together on almost on a whim. You know, to to line it up for another year is some good news. Great. Okay, so that's going to happen. And I know I saw a couple of updates. Dragonfall had some extra seats open. They did have some extra seats open, and they came and went, I believe, right away. But get on the wait list. Yeah, because a lot of people got on the wait list are now playing. They're going to roll dice. Exactly. And the same thing happened for August when we go down to NashCon. Some seats opened up. Uh, Some are still open. So, yeah. They had more spaces open up. They had some drops. The combination of those things has has some yep. vacancies. So if you've ever wanted to go to NashCon, it's one of the events that I strongly recommend. It's a really good time. It's still going to be a two-list format mm-hmm. where you have to bring a, you know, a main and an alternative. You have to play each list at least once over the course of the weekend. Normally there are schemes involved, but this year there will not be with how close to 3.0 everything was released. Blank. So, <laughs> the, so it'll still have some of its unique flavor, but it'll be more of a vanilla style event than it has been in years past. We had Bruce City Brawl tickets go on sale between you know our last episode and now. Uh, we sold out in an hour. I had 14 people on the wait list. I had a couple of drops already, Which so you know we've started working through that. Backfill on that. You know, if you are interested in going. Get on the wait list. I can't promise that, you know, you'll be able no. to get in. But, you know, look, it's been two weeks since we've signed up and I've had two people drop already. Sure. And I had people on the wait list pass. Historically, in years past, you know, we've gotten through most, if not all, of the wait list. And yeah, okay. that. With that, I think that's events. And uh, one more. Holy oh. Havoc went on sale. Okay. Uh, also yeah. sold out. But that one I have seen consistently over the number of events that they run for holy events. People drop and historically. And that what is, is the date? What are the dates for that? That's November. Yeah. Sometime between, I know, Dragonfall and Christmas. Yes. Usually. Yeah. It, it's in November. I don't remember if it's the weekend of the 13th and 14th or and the 6th and the 7th. that's down in Chicago? Yes, that's in Naperville, right in and around Depticon land for folks who are interested. Okay, cool. Alrighty, then it's time to talk 3.0. Woo. We will be right back. I mean, what are we, a team? No, 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 we're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. It's 3.0 time, and the first thing I wanted to say, Brandon, about this is this General's Handbook is just laid out so well. Everything you need is here. It's tabbed. It's abound so that you can fold over the pages so you can use in the battle plans part. You can just flip to the page you want. It's right there in front of you. You don't need the cards, you know, like you had before. Everything is very well laid out, and this is such a useful tool. As, as a physical product, yes. I have been really impressed. Whether I was going to like 3.0 or not, when I got the handbook dropped off, you went and picked it up and dropped it off at my house. Yep. And as I was flipping through it, I was like, this is a really well-spent yes. set of money for the product that I got and that I know I'm going to use it for. Mm-hmm. The core rules are in here. The general's handbook stuff is in here. The points are in their own separate little sure. packet, which... Yeah, yeah is good and you got that that sheet that cardboard sheet thing that has all the battle tactics on it now you've yep. made your own cheat sheet with yep. it just for every person who buys it who's you know going to play a couple games a year 
and you know isn't going to have every option memorized or yeah. on everything in their in their quick draw notebook such a fantastic $35 no, or whatever it is, it is. If like you play Sigmar you got to get this it's so useful for this change to the the formatting mm-hmm we're going to go through just a little bit at a time, a piece at a time, and we're going to start with the battle pack because that's really what it, the first part of this thing is. You know, it talks about pitch battles. The main change here, I think, Brendan, is that under pitch battles, we have points limits. And, of course, it's 1,000 and 2,000. First of all, the battlefield size has changed. Mm-hmm. Width-wise, you know, a couple inches on each side isn't very significant, but a foot, a six inches on either one of the long sides is very significant difference. Yeah. And we've seen that as we play games. It really makes a difference. It's been one of the things that has made me feel more comfortable with my Soul Blight list. Soul mm-hmm. Blight, for those that don't know, are a genuinely slower army unless you're playing mm-hmm. the Knights sub-faction, but the rest of your army is basically movement four. Having four inches... Towards the enemy, less that I have to, you know, have to cover and protect over the course of the game, and then not having to spread out over another foot has allowed me to play more condensed battle lines and move forward as just kind of this inevitable horde of, you know, death that, <laughs> that marches forward. It's made a difference. The first time I set the board up to play against myself, I put some soul blight on the table and I put some giants on the other side, and I, I set the giants up first. And I looked at that and I went, mm, wow, okay. That's okay. The thing I was concerned about, you know, with this stuff before where you had to cover all this space, oh, I don't have that anymore. Like, That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. And then I set, set up the Soul Blight stuff next and I went, oh, I went corner to corner, edge to edge with my battle line. Sure. And I was like, and I had things in the grave. I was like, okay, I like this. This is good. Yeah. It's not insignificant. It's something that you need to set up, put your models on the table and and really see to appreciate. Because if you look at the missions, it looks like every other mission pack you've ever seen. Sure. Where it's a rectangle with dots on it and sections out where that are red or blue or gray. And really right? the only difference is the size of the rectangles is what's different. Correct. There's still 16 of them. And as we go through, we've also got understrength and reinforced units. We're not really going to talk about the understrength because from pitch battle side, that's not something we do. But the reinforced units is a huge change. Yes. Very, very significant. And we'll talk about that more later on. It just says that battle line units are the only ones that can be reinforced twice. Everything else can be reinforced once unless it's single. Right. And you get up to four reinforcements in a 2,000-point game. And all reinforcements means is that if your base unit size, for example, is 10 and your maximum unit size is 30, if you add 10 to that, so you've got a unit of 20, that's one reinforcement point. If you go up to 30, that's two reinforcement points. Yes. And again, there are a lot of units. You, If they're not battle line, you can only reinforce them once. Which Makes you sense. and I have already seen to be uh, quite a decision maker on mm. how it is you approach some units. We have coalition units. Now that's changed a little bit, has it not? Yes. Yeah, so coalition units weren't anything before. That was a language that didn't exist in the game. So coalition units now, what this means is you have units that are not in your faction because now factions are defined as in a book, basically with some few exceptions. Mm -hmm. It's no longer keyword-based. If you are playing Disciples of Zinch, you have to be Disciples of Zinch. You can't bring in as many Zinch Chaos Warriors as you want and play that as a Zinch army. 
now you have coalition units which are and your battle tome your battle tome faqs will tell you what that looks like the most common representation of this was cities of sigmar where one in four could be stormcast for all of them then you had living city where one in four could be sylvaneth and you know you had Greywater fatness one one in four could be cared overlords that is going to show up more in some different places where before it was a little bit of keyword matching. And we'll talk about it when we go through the FAQs. But coalition units are units that you can take in your army that don't break faction because no longer can you take grand alliances. Right. You cannot play grand alliance order, death, destruction, chaos. That way to play is gone. gone. It's gone. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, endless spells and invocations. We're going to talk a lot more about those when we get into talking about wizards and priests. There are significant changes in the way uh, they work. I'm really, really happy about the fact that they've made a lot of rules very clear about the invocations and the priests and the relationships there uh, and how to effectively use priests now in the game. They're really a major part if you have priests in your army, and that's wonderful. You know, filling out your army roster, blah, blah, blah. Grand strategies are something we're going to talk about more, uh, just knowing that you have to pick a grand strategy when you fill out your army roster. That's it. And you get the same one. Once you fill it out, it's done. Yeah. And some of them are real gimmies based on the way that you build your list. Mm-hmm. And, and how you're, what your battle tome is like, what units you have as options. And- yeah. Look, if you're playing Sons of Bayamut, you're probably going to be taking the one where if you ha- you want monsters alive at the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. You had a list. You wanted wizards alive and you had a bunch. So yeah, yeah. I, had like, I had five or six. Yeah. yeah. It was... A lot of wizards. Yeah, so it's very dependent on your army, your battle tome, what's available to you as far as units go. But you have to pick one, and you have to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to stick with it. The If you pick that, it sticks with you the entire event, correct? Correct. Yep, so every game you either get that or you don't get that. Yep, and that's the same for all five games. All right, pitch battle, battle plans. We've got a bunch. We've got 12 new missions. Yep, which is great. Now, uh, we say that they're new. Yeah. <laughs> But a lot of them are exactly the same. They're just called something different. They're called something different. The scoring works a little bit differently. But when you set up the objectives on the table, it's going to be a very familiar experience. Yeah. And again, we're going to talk much more. We're going to do a relative deep dive in two episodes. We're going to go into those and talk about differences Mm -hmm. in those things. Battle tactics is, again, something new, like grand strategies. What are those? They're something you pick, and there are eight of them available. Yes. And during the game, each person during their turn picks a battle tactic, and you either get that or you don't get that. If you get it, you get points for it. And if you don't get it, it's gone, and you have to pick another one. So you can't pick the same one twice during the game. Yep. And what I really like about these, Brendan, is for the most part, they are achievable. We played a game where actually that was the focus, was the battle tactics. But in most cases, they're not. But they're very important in terms of scoring the game. They still, I mean, you, you can do things with, you can lose on the objective side in a lot of times. But if you're piling up those battle tactics points, that could make the game a lot closer otherwise. There are going to be strategies that you can invoke in playing your opponents where you understand that there is a limited path of choices that they can make, mm-hmm. where if you destroy certain avenues for them, it only leaves them with certain battle tactics that they can even possibly achieve. 
and you can make it very difficult. And they may have used the ones that are left that are achievable already, and so nothing. You know, right. you're going to take a blank for that, and that's that's huge. So I really like battle tactics as part of the choices you have to make. And again, we'll talk about those specifically in episode 79. We're not going to go into the details here. Realm rules. We're going to talk about those in a minute. There's only one realm to play in anymore, yeah, which is crazy cool. I like it. I like it a lot. So they have called this the season of war where every general's handbook is going to include a specific realm set of realm rules that Mm -hmm. you will play in. Right now, you have two settings. You're either going to play without the realm rules or you're going to play with the realm rules. Mm -hmm. That's going to be up to the event organizer. And as a TO, are you going to play with the realm rules? Probably. Okay. I, I think so. I really want them to put out more realms faster. Yeah. For a lot of folks, the one realm a year is going to be totally fine. You know, they don't play a ton of games over the course of a year. But, you know, look, right? Like I play 10, 12 events probably a year, right? You know, there's a bunch of one dayers that will go to, you know, play Mm -hmm. practice games in the basement and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I play upwards of 100 games a year. (laughs) I would like something a little different. Right. Yeah. So once a year in the general's handbook, eh, we're hoping that maybe when they do the the winter FAQ or something that that comes out as part of it, because really it's only a few pages. It's only like four or five pages of the general's handbook. So it's not like that would be a lot for them to make that change. Yep. Um, that would be great. I don't know if there's anything else really in here, Brent. Is there anything else significant uh, other than the mysterious terrain? We're back. What's old is new. Yep. We're back to one table. <laughs> yeah. Other than that. Yeah. I think that's about it for this part of the book. Yes. Mm-hmm. For the general's handbook side of it, you know, obviously one of the things we talked about in the last episode is War Scroll Battalions are gone. You have core battalions, and that's what you're going to operate off of. Let's go through the realm rules okay. uh, on here. About five pages worth of stuff. And we are, as you have already said, we're in Gur. The rules here are very specific to that realm. They give you background. And in the early part of the book, they actually have some lore, have some background story that goes with this and what's happening in Gur and why this is. We have some special rules. And the first one is Predator and Prey. Once per battle, you can score one additional victory point if enemy monsters were slain in that battle round. Yeah, so if your opponent brings a bunch of monsters once per battle round, you can get an additional point if you remove one from the battlefield. Yep. Now, cool. if you destroy all their monsters in one turn, Doesn't you matter. still only get one point. No. But you can do it in your turn or their turn as long as it's the battle round. The next one I just love. I think this is great. Seismic shift at the start of the third battle round after the players roll off to determine who was the first turn. The player taking the second turn in the battle round can pick one objective marker on the battlefield and remove it from play. Man, that can make such a difference. It absolutely does. And so here's another reason. I think it's really cool. This is one thing. And then we've got the other thing when we talk about CPs where... Going first isn't always going to be... You're really going to have a lot of motivation to go second in this version of the game, Mm -hmm. which is cool. Here's one more reason. To remove that objective can be pretty powerful. Although, one thing to note, on the battle plans, the objectives are marked either as a circle or a star. And if it's a star as an objective, those cannot be removed. And the battle plan itself will say if that is one of the things in play. Those are called prime objectives. Yep. And prime objectives cannot be removed from play. And it's very specific on there. We have a spell. Why don't you talk about that? Yes, you have uh, a spell that everyone knows on top of Arcane Bolt and Mystic Shield, and that's Metamorphosis. So if you didn't bring any monsters, you do have the ability to bring one a little bit. Metamorphosis has a casting value of a 5 and a range of 12. 
If successfully cast, pick one friendly hero that is not a monster and that is within range and visible to the caster. That hero gains the monster keyword until your next hero phase. Very cool. Which means that you can monsters rampage with them, which means that they count as more models. It means that you can go and achieve some of the different battle tactics that are available to you mm-hmm. if you didn't have a monster before. So Very cool. You keep the same base size, you just get a, a monster keyword. Yeah, and it's cool because of the way the rules have changed. Monsters have a lot of things they can do, a lot of options. And this is only a casting value of five, so it's pretty reliable if you really want to get it off. Yeah. Realm Command, what about that? This is a command ability that everyone has access to in addition to whatever they have access to on their War Scrolls or their sub-factions, their army. Mm-hmm. Except for Bone Reaper players, I'm sorry. Oh. Uh, Feral Roar, you can use this command ability at the start of the combat phase. The unit that receives the command must be a monster, keyworded. Until the end of that phase, when you look up the value of that unit's damage table, it is treated as if it has zero, suffered zero wounds. Whew. Nice. Yeah, so if you have a monster that you're expecting to take some damage in that combat phase, but you want it to be fighting on full, this is one to use. Or if you know that you are injured, you are going into a fight, and fighting on your full table is going to be useful. You know, that's an important one. But there's going to be balancing act because you cannot issue and receive more than one command ability per phase. So this comes at the cost of, you know, like if you're playing Flesh Eater Courts, if you do this, you can't Feeding Frenzy. Right. Okay. But I could, as I'm looking at this, I could use Metamorphosis to change one of my coaches into a monster. No. They're not a hero. They're not a hero, yep. Ah, that's right. No hero. Shoot. It's okay. You keep trying. I I respect (laughs) the aim here. However, the implementation has something to be desired. Correct. So the next thing we have, and we're going to talk a lot more about these, is core battalions. But you have two. We're assuming that every realm is going to have a couple of few of these. The first one is Alpha Beast Pack. And after armies have been set up, but before, and this includes either two or three Behemoths, monsters. So they are monster icons. Yes. Which has nothing to do with the keyword, but they must have the battlefield role of Behemoth. And not, not have a leader. leader. Not be a leader. Correct. Yeah. And after they're set up in the first battle round, you can make a normal move of up to D6 inches with each unit. Okay. So you can take your behemoth and move it up to D6 inches. Cool. Yeah. Reposition. Yep, the next one is very valuable. I think you'd be kind of nuts not to take it if you have some big units like we both have, you know, big masses of troops. I think you're crazy to, to not take it in like any list. Right. To, to have three units like this. So. Yeah. Hunters of the Heartland are mandatory two troops, optional a third, and troops are units that are not battlefield role leader, artillery, or behemoth. Mm-hmm. But if you're playing a sub-faction where it turns a behemoth into a battle line unit, they are eligible to be taken for Hunters of the Heartlands because they no longer have the behemoth mm-hmm. battlefield role. Okay. Interesting. But units from this battalion cannot be picked when your opponent carries out a monstrous rampage. In both of our games, that's been very valuable for me. It has certainly kept me from doing some things that (laughs) I have wanted to do. Yes. In some games versus Kragnos, it has kept Kragnos from doing some things that Kragnos wanted to do. Mm -hmm. In a game against a great unclean one, it has kept a great unclean one from doing things that it has wanted to do. Good stuff. There have been games where it has kept me from doing things that I've wanted to do. Really good option. So since battalions no longer reduce your number of drops or add a number of artifacts inherently, if you have just two troop units that are you're not using in another battalion, mm-hmm. take this one. There's no reason not to. Yep. You'd be insane. Yep. 
The next thing is then they list grand strategies for this realm, Mm -hmm. and there are eight of them. They also list eight battle tactics. I think these are, my thought on this is that because they're in this part of the book, Brendan, that when we get another realm, we will get new battle tactics. My rationale for that is when I look at battle tactics, I think six out of the eight have the keyword monster somewhere in them, which would be very gurish. The battle tactics, I absolutely agree with you, are likely to see changes year to year because these are the same eight battle tactics that are in the core rules. The difference is is that they have added language and opportunities to gain additional points if keyworded monsters Mm -hmm. are involved in that action, either on the being removed side or the committing the action side. Which... I like the tie-in too, Brendan, with that, because even if you are short of monsters, don't forget you have metamorphosis. And if you pick one of the battle tactics that requires a monster to do something, you at least have the opportunity to achieve that battle tactic. And I'll kind of caution you on that one there. It helps you a little bit because Mm -hmm. many of these require multiple units. So, like, Ferocious Advance requires you to have three units that are keyworded monsters in order to gain the additional points. And not a whole lot of people are going to have that. Right. Savage Spearhead is going to be something where you need to have two or more units that are monsters. If you're playing a list that doesn't have monsters, there are going to be ones that... Just don't work for you. Right. You have a battle tactic, Monstrous Takeover. You need one monster to achieve that. Well, fine. That's where Metamorphosis would come in and allow you to make that decision therein. Sure. Cool. Yes, it is helpful, but it does not automatically put you in the category of scoring some of these other ones. Okay. The battle tactics and grand strategies. So the grand strategies, I think you build with your list in mind and battle tactics you play in an order with your list in mind. Sure. All right. Those are there. Then we have the scoring sheet, which is completely new, as you would expect if we have new things that score points. Yes. And I really like these. I love the way these are laid out. Very easy to understand. And we were talking before that this is something you're feeling that TOs are just going to be using. Yeah. Yeah. Some version of this. Yes. You might see it modified to include kill points because someone like me who likes to keep track of of that kind of stuff for... Mm -hmm. For tiebreakers or different awards, right? You you toss it on there. But I have actually, in my playing space, drawn on a whiteboard, mm-hmm. basically in a very similar format yep. to keep score and to see, you know, what it is that we have achieved on a visual standpoint. So it seems complicated to start, but when you have a tool like this scoring sheet, make mm-hmm. a bunch of copies, get a whiteboard, you know, get a notebook. And once you start playing the game like we have... Just like picking a battle tactic becomes just part of your turn. You just do it. Mm-hmm. And it's not extra anymore because it's so much part of your routine as you're going through your turn. So, yeah, you just write it down and did you get it done or not? And Anyway, very nice. I like the way that's organized and keeps all that stuff together. So good stuff. Yeah. We have our battle plans, which we're not going to talk about a whole lot here. Uh, we're just going to do kind of an overview. As you said already, we've got 12 new ones and they're laid out basically... Two pages, you've got one where it gives you all the details, deployment, battle length, how you score your victory points, etc., with a smaller version of the map. And you've got a fold-over page. And again, the way this thing is binded, you can just turn that over and have that open the whole time, uh, where it has a bigger picture of your deployment areas. And it gives you still a list of how you win the game, which yep. is great. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, So are there any missions that have jumped out to you, Dan, that, that you think we need to... 
Well, you know the one we played the other day, which was Marking Territory, was it not? Mm-hmm. I really love the way that the scoring happened in that one. I wasn't expecting that at well, all. Well, in that there is no scoring. Right. So Marking your Territory, you have to control, starting from all the third four. battle round. Well, in the third battle round, one yes. of the objectives gets pulled. So you have to control all three of the objectives to win. Okay, that was it. Yeah. So, And in doing so, if at the end a player does not control all three, the first tiebreaker is the person who has achieved the most battle tactics if both players have achieved the same number of battle tactics a player who has achieved their grand strategy is then the winner and then if both players have achieved the same number of battle tactics and both players have or have not achieved their grand strategy then it is a straight draw okay that's it but i did like that one even though i got it wrong at the beginning (laughs) i did like the way that played I, i like that change of focus and how about you you played a lot of these yeah, it's one of the straight new ones, the vice. Okay, the one where the board gets smaller, sort of? The the objectives force a smaller board over yes. the course of the game. Yep, so yeah, that looks really cool. This one's going to be a little bit tougher to see at events, but I believe TOs are going to figure out a way to do it. Because it's a mission that is played long ways. Mm-hmm. You have four objectives in battle round one, and they start in your corners, which is pretty far away from each other, right? Then in the start of the second battle round, the objectives move up to 15 inches in, you know, because this is a 60-inch board across. Mm -hmm. So now the objectives are total 30 inches away from each other. There's four of them in corners. And they stay there through round three. None of these can be pulled off because they are all prime objectives. And then at the start of the fourth battle round, they become one objective at the middle at the oh, middle part of the board. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. And the scoring works the same as most of the missions, where you get one point if you control at least one, an additional point if you control two or more. You get a third point if you control more objectives than your opponents. Now that's some that scoring scheme is something that's in multiple of these that I have seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you get to the end game, though, you can only score one point if you control one objective and one additional point if you control more than your opponent. So for battle rounds four and five, you're missing one point each battle round for the overall victory points. So you need to make sure that if you're not if you're behind going into battle round four, that you have a way of salvaging those points, either by preventing your opponent from getting their grand strategy, which is worth three at the end of the game, Mm -hmm. or forcing them to be unable to score some of the victory points or some of the battle tactics, which are worth two per, or you can score the battle tactics with monsters in order to gain those additionals there. This is a mission where if you're behind even by one point in battle round four, that could be it. Mm-hmm. If you hold serve with your opponent, you lose. All right. Then I think that's it for... Again, we're going to dive in and talk about these in a lot more detail in a couple episodes. But I don't think there's anything else significant in terms of how they work. Yeah. Um, these battle plans on their own deserve their own time and attention, which is yes. what we'll be doing in episode 79. Because on the surface, they look... Very similar. Some of them do, yes. But when you spend time playing some games, getting through the nuances of some of them, your path forward to victory, especially in consideration with what happens in the Realm of Gur, mm-hmm. you need to think about what it is that you're doing in the early game state very differently from what you're doing in the late game state. That's right. Okay. 
Let's go over to Endless Spells next. Okay. There's a whole section here, and it talks about, I think, significant change. These are all the general ones. These are not... So every Endless Spell in the game has changed. Yes. Every single one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. In your General's Handbook are all of the generics from Forbidden Power and from AOS 2.0's Malign Sorcery. Yep. And then all of your individual ones, Invocations and Endless Prayers, Endless Prayers and Endless Spells... Those are all present in your army's FAQ. Mm-hmm. Go take a look at those. They all needed to change, the prayers especially, because there's a, a new way of casting. The endless spells have all changed, and a sizable point increase has come along with them because yeah. control of endless spells is different, and their actions are different. And we'll talk about those for sure. Is there one regular endless spell that you thought was interesting, the changes that went on? Well, I know you're going to talk about cogs, or you're going to talk about shackles, so I'm going to talk about cogs. Okay. Before in AOS 2.0, cogs was speed up or slow down, and speed up was plus two to move and plus two to charge, which was pretty good. And if you slowed it down, you got a reroll save and additional casting attempt for the wizard. Mm -hmm. Also pretty good. Cogs has changed. The control of it is the same, but if you increase the flow of time instead of what it was before, you add one to the charge rolls for units wholly within 18 inches of the endless spell. If you decrease the flow of time, keyworded wizards can attempt to cast one extra spell in their commanding player's hero phase while they're within six inches of the endless spell. And you determine control at the start of the hero phase for which wizard is owning cogs. That is markedly different. Mm Mm-hmm. Obviously, plus two to move and plus two to charge versus plus one to charge on the fast side is... <laughs> it's a pretty big difference. Yeah, quite a bit different. So I don't think you're going to see it as much, mm-hmm. but the slowing down time side of it can be pretty useful if you are going and playing in a wizard-heavy army. So something like Zinch that has a lot of wizards, getting an additional casting attempt on some of your big casters can be pretty important. Or I'm thinking of Belladama. Mm -hmm. She already adds one to casting. Now, if she can get an extra spell, great. Right, we'll bring her up to a three-caster. Plus she (laughs) re-rolls. In Virkos, yes. So that would be really nice if she had that other spell to cast. Mm -hmm. Shackles, I really... Now, they've gone up a lot in points. They went up like 50% in points. Well, good, because tell them what they do. (laughs) It's a spell that is casting value of 7 and a range of 12. Set up... The parts of the endless spell wholly within three inches of each other. It used to be within six inches, so that's mm-hmm. a little bit different area of effect, as it were. But units within six inches of this endless spell cannot run or attempt a charge. That is just a lockdown, Brendan, for a lot of people. If you can get this thing in the right spot, that's just crazy. And in addition, at the start of the movement phase, roll a dice for each unit within six inches of this spell, and a six, they Suffer D3 mortals, that's kind of a bonus. But the fact that you can shut down, run, and charge, wow, that's really, really good. Which is why it went up from 40 to 65 points. Now, the difference is, is you can't create that, like, big line of shackles anymore. Yes. Having to set them up wholly within three inches of each other and wholly within range of the caster with a range of 12 is going to be set back quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And wholly within three inches basically creates just a little blob. You're not going to be able to string a line. It's like a little triangle. Is yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's more of a contained area, and a casting value of a seven is going to make it difficult for some armies to get it off. But 
in a clutch dice roll situation where if you want to zone out an area to keep a unit safe, mm-hmm. trying to get this out and spending the points on this is something that, that can pay off. Yeah, I mean, and you're talking 12 inches away, another 3 inches beyond that, and then units within 6. So it's still about 20 inches mm-hmm. of range on this thing in terms of somebody who's within that area. That area. So yeah, you could start. You could grab somebody. Uh, all right. So anyway, those are just a couple. Yeah, we'll move on then. Two core rules, Brendan. Mm-hmm. We have, of course, the player's code, which people should read anyway, even if you've been playing a long time, just to read it, just to remind ourselves. Yeah, Dan. No complaining about dice rolls anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm gonna start citing you. <laughs> yeah, right. Damn dice, whoosh. It flies <laughs> over somebody's head. God, man, just bring a hammer and just smack the thing. <laughs> the core concept. Please don't bring hammers no, to tournaments. Do not do that. Don't, Please don't do don't. that. That That's just, no, it's okay. Dan's gone too far. That was just for. We've spoken to HR. That was just for entertainment purposes only. So Please don't bring weapons <laughs> to tournaments. The first thing is the core concepts. And most of this stuff didn't really change up to unicoherency and Mm -hmm. that's a big change brendan so why don't we talk about unicoherency yeah so unicoherency is a little bit different now if your unit is five or fewer models you only have to be within one inch of one other model Mm -hmm. so that can be just a your kind of traditional string of models that are spaced one inch apart Mm -hmm. only up to a unit size of five if your unit is greater than five, six unto infinity, every model must be within one inch of two other models. For the most part, that's going to look like fighting in a ranked situation of some variety. Mm-hmm. Now, models that are on 25 millimeter bases can be base to base to base to base all the way across in a line because one inch is 25.4 millimeters. And the base is 25 millimeters. So if you are in base contact with a 25 millimeter base, you are within one inch of the model that you are in base contact with and within one inch of the model on the other side of the base contact with that. You have to be very disciplined to do that, though. And many of your movement trays are greater than a 0.4 millimeter spacing, persons who are listening. So no, you cannot do that. In order to achieve this correctly, you have to be in base contact with those models. So if you're using those movement trays, you can't string out 20 models, for example. You just can't do it. I mean, you You, can... You have to make sure that you have something that meets that criteria. Yeah. And you can only do that with 25 millimeter bases. Yeah. Because 32 millimeter bases are obviously larger than 25.4 millimeters. So those will need to be in some sort of staggered rank situation where you do like little bow tie pastas down the line. People, you can go online and find... 20 different iterations of ways to do these things and make it still work for you. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, if you've got 32 mil bases, having a two-inch range is very valuable now for your melee attacks versus one inch. Because if you're one inch, you're going to have one line, and that's it. Half your units are going to get in, and that's about it. Uh, But if you have two-inch range, for example, my Reaper's very much back in the game now because they do give me that full use of my units yeah yes so very very good yeah that's one of the things that as we talked about kind of you end up doing some reassessing of what it is that you value so something that you were leaning on a little more heavily before were blade guys revenants Mm -hmm. and now that their minimum unit size is 10 they're a one inch reach on a 32 millimeter base you're fighting in two ranks with those extra guys 
And when you compare the, the points, you ask yourself, is the retreat and charge on those models something I'm as interested in where I know I'm sacrificing five of them? Well, not totally five. You can get up to seven Maybe. if you do it correctly, you know, models in. You're asking the question of, is that worth it versus if I keep the small frontage with something that has a two-inch reach, assuming you have access to something that has mm-hmm. a two-inch reach and participating that way. All ten, all 10 models are getting in. Yeah. Right. So just something, again, to think about as you're... As you're playing. As you're playing in. The other thing to remember is if you have a unit of 10 that you've had to worry about coherency and they do go down to five models, they are now just fine. Yes. Yep. They are part of that two to five model unit and coherency isn't an issue anymore. But if for some reason you get models back, I, I no, don't know of any armies that would do that. No, but, certainly not <laughs> both of us sitting here on this podcast. Playing death armies. No, uh, that would then never you, happen. If you go back above that five, you're going to have to think about it again. And, so and, and to, it's been one of those things where I've had to remind you a couple times oh, of, yeah. of, hey, you know, these two models aren't yeah. in coherency. Yeah. And it's difficult to see sometimes in your first couple of games but once you have played some you start to get a feel for what that looks like it's most difficult with Mm -hmm. chariot bases is what Mm -hmm. i found and you ended up finding something very similar yes you're going so a lot of you are going to end up making the decision of playing with five mans rather than ten mans of some of these different uh, cavalry units or you're going to really utize some very bizarre tokyo drift uh, style yeah. unit co- layouts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm hoping you kill one of them at this yeah, point. Of like course, of the, course you are. So yeah. Uh, so we have that. Um. Now let's talk about this next thing. I think it's interesting. It talks about endless spells, invocations, and faction terrain. Mm-hmm. So your army can include one endless spell for each wizard in your army. Yep. But there is also on the table at the beginning a limit of how many endless spells you can have. Correct. So which one of those takes precedent? Both. Okay, so if I have five wizards, mm-hmm. but the table says I can have a maximum of four endless spells, how many endless spells can I take? Four. Four, okay. So this is just like allies. Okay. One in four units must, you know, you must have three other units in order to take this one ally unit, mm-hmm. and your cap is 400 points. Right. It's not... It's not and or, it's mm-hmm. and. Right. So this is, you can include one endless spell for each wizard in your army. Cool. I have five wizards. My battle pack tells me I can have up to four. And the spells. So I can have up to four endless spells. But if I have one wizard and I can have up to four in the battle pack, yeah. my minimum thresholding there is the one wizard. So I can only have one endless spell. Right. Okay. So. I just wanted to clarify that because mm-hmm. I'd seen people with questions about that. So, all right, cool. Yeah. So that, and the same applies for invocations for priests. So yep. those are... The things that you see in Fire Slayers and the Daughters of Cain, Hearted Fist yes. of Cain. One of the big changes here for Deepkin players is you can include one faction terrain feature. Not two anymore. You will not see two boats on the battlefield anymore. This is also something for everyone to know is your faction terrain has changed. It is in the FAQ. Everyone has changed. Every single one of them is different now. Yep. So before you go and jump into a 3.0 game, open up your fac, read it, because your faction terrain has changed, your faction endless spells have changed, and a fair number of your rules and errata have likely changed. You know, you have that, and that is pretty, pretty important. And before we get away from 
this page. The core rules say that they spell out the difference as slain and fleeing. In the core rules FAQ, they basically walk that back. Your general, we know you have to pick a general. And generals are help, valuable because they... Help you generate command points. Yes. You have not played a game yet in which one of the generals goes. Yep. I can tell you the ability to remove an opponent's general early makes a enormous difference in the result of that game. It is going to be a valid strategy for persons to try and isolate and remove the opponent's general in the early battle rounds to force their opponent to be command point starved. Wow. Okay. Because think about it. You get, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, you get yours at the start of the battle round. Yep. And if your general's on the battlefield, you get one guaranteed mm -hmm. every player turn. If you do not have a general, you do not get those guaranteed every player turn. You have to roll with your heroic actions, and it's a two-up, but it's still a dice roll. That other player could still have their general, and they can still roll to generate more command points. Mm -hmm. It ends up being a pretty important command point burn because then you're also making a decision around, I want to do finest hour, but now I have no command points this turn. Right. Now, just to clarify, Brendan, if both of us have generals on the board, mm -hmm. and it's your turn, Yep. Okay, let's say it's the top of two. It's your turn. You get an extra command point because you have a general. Yep. Okay. Now, once it's my turn, I get an extra point. We both get command points every turn. So, the top of two, if both of our generals are there, we both get an extra command point. Correct. Okay. And so, it's every turn that we both get them if yep. both of our generals yeah, are there. Yeah, when, when we talk about command abilities in command you know, points. three pages, we'll talk about that a little more closely. Okay, fair enough. All right, we move on. Measuring distances, dice, rolling off, rerolls, dice modifiers. Those are all pretty much the same. We're going to talk about limits on dice modifiers, though, because that is new. Yes. And there's a sidebar here that talks about that. In most cases, modifiers are cumulative. However, some dice rolls, such as hit and wound, specify that they cannot be modified more than plus or minus one. When this is the case, add up all the modifiers that apply, and if the total is more than one or minus one, treat it as being either one or minus one. Mm -hmm. Yep, so that is it for the certain... And saves can also only be net plus one right. as well. And again, remember, like you just used the word, it's net. So if somebody makes you minus two to hit, mm -hmm. and you have a plus one to hit you're still only minus one to hit, okay? Right, so in a variance that is more extreme, where you are minus three to hit and you only have plus one, it's net minus two, but the cap is minus one. Minus one to hit, right, okay. Yep. As people play more, they'll figure out more interesting ways around it. Like, I've found creative ways to get around Ren 3 with just the dumbest combination of oh, things. Sure. As you play, you're going to find things that work well for your army, things that work, things that don't, you know, different ways around these different rule sets. Sure. And it's what happens every time we get a new rule set. People go in, they get creative, they figure how to maximize the effects for their armies, mm -hmm. whatever they are. Yep. Okay. And so as you step into 1.6, abilities and effects, the one thing here that I think is really important and worth knowing is the codifying and spelling out of the many things that were several pages worth of FAQs in AOS 2.0 are sure. now, you know, their own paragraphs and, and numbered statements within the rules. Abilities and phases, start of the phase and end of the phase, and then during the phase. So those three sub-steps of any given phase are made known. 
they spell out what simultaneous means and they spell out, you know, what applies in terms of contradictory effects. And they talk about first strike, last strike, mm -hmm. uh, when it occurs in the turn. And that, that's really great that they lay all that out so there's no confusion. Yes. Very good. And one of the things that's going to be important to many players is triggered effects. Okay, so let's talk about that. Triggered effects, and the most common of these is when you make a hit roll of a six, something happens on a lot of different units in this e and game. And typically it's either it creates a mortal wound or... It explodes into two hits. That's, Correct. Those are the most typical. Yes, those are your most common. However, now, if you have two or more triggered effects by the same roll, you must pick which one is applied. Mm -hmm. The player who made the roll must pick which effect is applied. Fair enough. So you can have active sixes to hit or mortal wounds and sixes to hit are two hits, but you have to pick which of those dice rolls become what. Okay, sure. But you can pick, if you've got three of one and three in the other, can you not pick three of those to, to explode and three of those to be mortals? Yeah. Okay, right. So you don't have to pick them all to be the same. No. Is what we're saying. Okay. All right. Shooting or fighting more than once. Okay, that happens. Right, fine. Right, but it's um, capped at... Two times, not four. Yep. Whatever. Two okay. per phase. Okay. Now, however, if you are able to fight out of phase... Mm -hmm. and then fight again in the combat phase, that does not cap your twice. Nope. It's just twice per phase is where your limit lies. Yep. Battlefield, deployment, there really isn't a whole lot different there. Yep. They spell out things that are reserve units, and they spell out things that are summoned units. Correct. Uh, reserve units are armies that are, that are units that are part of your starting army, which ends up being important for your battle tactic and yes. grand strategy selections. And they do very specifically define what your starting army is. Yes. Okay. And that's good. Battle rounds. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are the big ones. Yep. If you're looking at the core rules, you'll see that the first round priority is a dice off. That is not correct. If you're using the General's Handbook battle pack, which most of you will be, the priority role for the first battle round is whoever finishes deploying first. After that, the priority role is the same as what we've been doing for a long time, which is the tie. Tie goes to the person going first last time. Yes. Yeah, okay, that's it. Yeah, so. tie is, as it has been for all of 2.0, whoever was first in the battle round wins in the tie. previous battle round wins the tie. Yeah, and first turn, again, whoever de finishes deploying first chooses whether to go first or second. Correct. Okay, they get that yes. choice. Yeah. They are given the priority, and the person with the priority is given the choice to decide yep. in the order in which the turns will take place. Okay. The next up is starting command points, which is you know where when we start making choices in and around turn order, the player who is going to go first in a battle round, the first turn in a battle round, receives one command point. The player who will take the second turn in the battle round receives two. And that happens at the beginning of the battle round. Yes. That you distribute that one and that two. Yes. This occurs after who it is is going to be taking the order of the turn. Right. Okay. Because then after that, it flips over to the turn sequence. Correct. Which is still hero phase, movement phase, shooting phase, charge phase, same combat phase, battle shock phase. Yeah. Same as it has always been since, you know, July of 2015. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right. And then we have command points. Mm-hmm. Command points allow you to use command abilities. We know that. The difference now is that anybody who can issue a command mm -hmm. can only do so once in that turn. Yes. Okay, so you can't have one person using three command points to do three different things. Correct. And that command, with exceptions, can only be given once per turn. Yes. So, you can only, so one person can give a plus one to hit. Somebody else has to give a minus one to hit. Something like that. 
if those were commands. Right. So you can't just across your battle line with limited exception, hand out all out attack, which is one of the generic can't command abilities to all of your units. Right. You can hand it out, but one person can hand it out to one unit. Correct. Right. Yes. Okay. But that's a big change. So, right. So that's a big change. Command points are reset at the end of the battle round. That's, that's a big change. Huge. Yes. This is where the other part of command point generation comes in is you receive command points at the start of the battle round after priority determined, which we just talked about. Mm-hmm. One and two. In addition, if your general is on the battlefield at the start of the hero phase, you receive one command point. Your hero phase or your enemies. Yes. The start of the hero phase. Right. At the end of the battle round, any command points not used are lost. So if you're going second and your general's on the field, the minimum command points you could get is three. Correct. Okay. Very nice. Yes. Got to use them, but they're there. Yes. Another thing they have talked about here, I don't think the ranges have changed, have they, with heroes, generals, and totems? Well, they've spelled them out. These are primarily for the generics Mm -hmm. as to who can issue them and in what capacity. Okay. Unit champions can issue commands of their own units. Which is amazing. I think that is so cool. It is neat. Heroes can issue commands to units that are wholly within 12 inches of them. So that's just generic anybody's. Models that are your general can issue commands to units that are wholly within 18 inches of them. So this is big for things that have the ability to count as generals in different armies. Like if you are taking a soul blight list and you are playing Legion of Night and Manfred is in your list and he's not your general, he still has a rule where he is treated as the general. So he can issue the generic commands to units wholly within 18 inches of them. This is only for the generics. All of your re- the rest of your command abilities will have a range on them, and those take precedence over the- this. But now totems can issue to units wholly within 18 inches of them as well, which we talked about a little bit. Which for me is very exciting mm-hmm. that coaches are now pseudo heroes. Yep. And it's 18 inches too, which is really nice as well, not just 12. Yep. Very nice. And then it spells out at the end of this blurb, each command ability will say when it can be used and what effect it has on the unit that receives it. A model cannot issue more than one command in the same phase, and a unit cannot receive more than one command in the same phase. In addition, you cannot use the same command ability more than once in the same phase, even for different units. Yes. There are some ways around that. Yes. But yes. There, are. there are some ways around several things here because if you take the right battalion you can actually get a command ability that you can use once per game mm-hmm. that doesn't count as a command point doesn't count as being issued so it doesn't it, it doesn't exist except right. to the receiving unit it's, it's an exception to those limits we just talked right. about okay so that's command points and how it's working how about the hero phase yeah so the hero phase is still pretty similar you know the one big action that's different is the heroic actions which are so cool so here again it spells out that in your hero phase if you have your general on the battlefield you receive a command point this is not more than what we just talked about there it's it's just just, right it's just saying it again in a different way the hero phase is where you're going to cast spells and chant prayers Cool, but you have heroic actions, and the player whose turn it is taking place picks one hero to perform a heroic action first, and then the other player would do the next. So you have four heroic actions you can pick from. Three are usable at any time, and one is once per battle per hero. You have heroic leadership, which is the command point generation one. You have to pick one friendly hero, which is the one that you are picking for the heroic action. Mm -hmm. 
and roll a dice. And a four up, you receive one command point, adding two if your general has been slain. And that command point can only be used by that hero in that turn. In terms of bookkeeping, what I recommend is you just have like a little token or a coin or something that you put at the back of that hero. I do not recommend turning your dial up because that is just going to confuse you. Because it is unit specific. Right? Only that hero can use that command point Correct. that turn. Which if you do not you know. use it that turn, you lose it. So. Different than the rest of the battle round. But yes. Correct. So Dan, you've been really liking the next one. Yeah, since I really have no wizards in my army. Heroic willpower, I pick a friendly hero that's not a wizard. And in the enemy hero phase, that hero can attempt to unbind one spell. Great. If it's your hero phase, that hero can attempt to dispel one endless spell in the phase as if it were a wizard. So it gives me some defensive options that I would not have. Correct. One cast on you know unbind or one dispel may not seem like a lot, but it can be significant if it's a really important spell that your opponent's getting off. I don't get any pluses, I don't get any minuses. Still very cool. You're just getting a dice roll. Right. So what about finest hour? So finest hour is when you need a hero to handle some business. Mm -hmm. Uh, What this is, you pick one friendly hero, add one to the wound rolls for attacks made by that hero until the end of that turn, and add one to save rolls for attacks that target that hero until the end of that turn. You cannot carry out this heroic action with the same hero more than once in the same battle. Okay, so that's the once per battle. Once per battle per hero. For that hero. Yes. Okay. If you have five heroes, you can give heroic action to all of them over the course of the game. Sure. Okay, and then heroic recovery? Yep. Which is where you can heal a little bit. You get D3 wounds back if this works. You pick a friendly hero. You roll your recovery roll. It's 2D6. If the roll is less than the hero's bravery, you can heal up to D3. If it's the same, you can heal one wound. Okay. I was playing Nick in, in one of these games. I had done the perfect amount of wounds to a Mangler Squig, where I had mid-charted it, and I was like, cool, I can leave it alone. I'm going to go do other stuff. And so he's like, you know, I'm going to heroic recovery him. He rolled three tens in a row for heroic recovery on that Mangler Squig. And I was like, yeah, you're getting your wounds back, and you're, you know, you're bumping back up on your tables, yeah. but ooh, three tens? <laughs> wow. And he did that once every turn, right? So every hero phase. Right, every hero phase. So you can heal up to 2d3 wounds. Per battle round. Per battle round. Yep. Using heroic recovery. Pretty nice. That's pretty Assuming nice. that you make the rolls. Heroes with lower leadership, like a lot of the ones in destruction, are going to really struggle with this. Heroes in death factions who are almost without fail, tens across the board. This is something that... People are going to use quite a bit. Okay. And then the last thing when we have, we have a, a new command ability in the hero phase called rally. And you can use this command ability at the start of the hero phase. Unit that receives the command must be more than three inches from all enemy units. You roll one dice for each slain model from that unit. Each six gives you one return slain model. Very nice. Yep. That's great, especially for, you know, people who have... Big blobs of units that have are down. You know, you have forty. You're down to fifteen or twenty. That's a lot of dice to roll to get some models back when you don't have the ability to do it otherwise. Yep. So I think that's really neat to at least have it available. And even though it's only on sixes, who knows? It's only on sixes, and you got to be more than three inches from all enemy units. Correct. So you can't use this while you're in combat to bolster your ranks. It's an interesting one to have. There are going to be discussions around this particular command ability and. Units like that are horrors, really the the crux of 
where how this rule is going to end up interacting. The FAQ didn't do a great job clarifying it. The answers I've been given for it, I don't particularly like because I am very anti-comp. That's you know mm-hmm. something that I feel I've made my voice very clear on over the course of our many, many shows. Sure. The interaction of rally and the interaction that horrors have with the word slain is probably the first interaction that I have seen as a person from a TO position and gone, at my event, I might be changing the way that this works. Okay. It's not a hard promise, but I'm certainly thinking about it, guys. Okay. Why don't we cover the movement phase and then take a little bit of a break? Yeah. And before we do that, we should, you know, we'll talk about these new generic command abilities. One of the interactions that Games Workshop has attempted to include in their sets of rules here is that you are always going to have the ability to interact in your turn and your opponent's turn with command abilities. Mm -hmm. Now, in AOS 2.0, most of those command abilities were just for you to use. Here in AOS 3, there are command abilities for everyone to use all the time, and they are handily at the back of your little command book. So as we go through and talk about them, there will be abilities that that you can only use in your movement phase and abilities that you can only use in your opponent's movement phase, shooting phase, combat phase, all all those, there are going to be specific interactions that you have access to in your opponent's turn. Rally is one that you can use in both your turn and your opponent's turn. Correct. Yep. So, yes, let's talk about the run phase now that I have... (laughs) Uh, explain what generic <laughs> command abilities are. So we're going to go through them or? Yeah. Okay. Let's, well, let's I mean, we will as we approach them, right? So okay. they make no sense without the context right. of the rest of the turn. And one of the things that's nice again about the book, if there is a command ability that can be used during that phase, it highlights it for you. Yes. It makes it really easy. And there's a table in the back. So you shouldn't miss these, <laughs> or at least the opportunity for them. Yeah. And at first, you're not going to remember that some of these things you have access to but like Dan in in our game Friday, yeah, you had set up what you thought was going to be a, a nice six inch pile in with your zombies, and you did. And I go redeploy. redeploy. That is like, uh, oh, and you rolled a six or something. I rolled a five, but oh, that it was it was more than enough to get out of. It was a great move, though. It's those small little interactions yep, that can shift difference. the tide of battle. Yep, really can. It's perfect. Yep. So movement phase here. Mm-hmm. We're. Let's talk about the changes here. One of the things this does that I can see is it specifies what's a run, what's a retreat, what's a normal move. And it makes it really clear, Blood Knights, (laughs) because there were a lot of questions about that. A retreat move is not a normal move. It's something separate. Yes. So when it says Blood Knights can make a normal move when they're in contact with, you know... Yeah, they're within three inches. They can make a normal move. It is not a retreat move. And that's right. here, that's been clarified. Yes. And I like that. Yeah, so you have normal moves, you have runs, and you have retreats. Mm-hmm. And they occur independently of each other. Yes. Normal moves are what they have always been. You select a unit and you can move up to the distance listed on your war scroll. Intervening terrain, other models, all those same restrictions apply. A retreat move is a move that you make when you are within three inches from an enemy unit and you have to end that retreat move outside of three inches from an enemy unit. Mm -hmm. If you retreat, you cannot run, you cannot charge because a run move is a separate move, Mm -hmm. but you cannot charge and you cannot shoot. A run move is a normal move and you must declare that you are making a run, then roll the dice, then move the unit, your move characteristic plus your d6 that was made for that run right 
So that is pretty sizable. Uh, obviously, running units cannot still charge. One of the things that is sizable is you used to be able to spend a command point to turn that run roll into a six. You must spend the command point now before you make the dice roll. Correct. And you just turn it into a six. If you have units that run 2d6, it's still just a six. So you're better off rolling the dice. The movement phase is one of the things that has been most interesting to clarify what it is and how it occurs and what it is that it does. So we talked about at the double, which when you declare that you're making a unit that will run, you spend a command point, it turns into a six. Dan, do you want to talk about redeploy since sure. it was such a, such a painful experience? <laughs> in a couple of times, yeah. Mm-hmm. You could use this command ability in the enemy movement phase after an enemy unit finishes a normal move, a run, or a retreat. So this is in the enemy movement phase, so it's not in your turn, it's in their turn. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things. The unit then receives the command and must be within nine inches of that enemy unit and more than three inches from all enemy units. So it's important that you trigger this precisely when that unit finishes its move. Because if your opponent moves something to just outside of three of you and you don't use that action and they finish all of their other moves 9.01 inches away from that unit, Mm -hmm. you cannot use this command ability later what we're saying is the enemy unit has to be between three and nine inches away from you to use this yes okay once you've finished your move Mm -hmm. okay once they've finished their move yes okay you can then make a d6 move with a unit that receives the command but it must finish the move more than three inches from all enemy units cannot shoot later in the turn so you cannot redeploy and use unleash hell which is the command ability you would use in your opponent's charge Charge phase phase. yep yep for shooting so this is very useful if somebody for example looks like they're going to be let's say seven six or seven inches away from you to set up a charge Mm -hmm. they're within three to six they're between three to nine they finish their move you know they're going to try to charge you Roll that dice and hope for a five or a six or something. Yep. If you get a one, well, whatever. You're, you're rolling the dice. You're taking the chance. But boy, if you can get out of charge range or extreme charge range, that was well spent. Absolutely. Right. And you can't use it to retreat out of a combat. So if your opponent has pinned you into that spot in the last combat phase, can't. you know, through some sneaky piling tactics, you're stuck there. You are going to be, you know, having to deal with whatever charge it is that's lined up. Correct. So... You can only, just like all these other command abilities, you can only use them, you know, once per phase. If your opponent's army is going to get three inches away from you, basically across the board, you got to pick the one unit that you're going to try and be like, you have to roll a six here. This is, <laughs> But it's better than dying. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> sure. One of the things that I have used redeploy for is to actually move closer to my opponent. Okay. To force them to not be able to engage a unit that is behind that front unit. Mm-hmm. that they might be looking to tag in a combat situation. Sure, that makes sense. Forcing the screen forward and just kind of locking them in is an option. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. It's an option now. Let's go to movement. I think most of this is the same. There's not a whole lot of change here, is there, Brennan? I don't think with terrain, flying, passing the across. biggest thing here is that flying units now have to move with the long and the hypotenuse of the triangle. Before, what you did is the vertical component of a movement for a flying model was ignored. When, if you were going to land on top of a terrain feature, all you had to do was move, you know, let's say it was six inches away, 
move the six inches, and you could land on top of a 48-foot-tall building. Now you have to measure from your initial position to the top of the building. Exactly. To, okay. to wherever it is that you are going to land. So it's real distance. Correct. Okay. It is real distance. Like real line of sight. Okay. Because everybody else has to account for the horizontal and vertical of that action. You can still climb buildings. You can still move up and down things. But flying units now, the big thing with flying is you have to line up the angle. Okay. They also spell out what remaining stationary is, but mm-hmm. I, I think all of us in principle knew what that was, but sure. now it's codified as you did not move. Cool. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's move on then to shooting phase. Sure. Let's hit that up. And then shooting phase here, they specify a couple of things or reinforce a couple of things. First of all, a unit that's within three inches of an enemy unit can only target units that are within three inches of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you're in close combat with somebody, you can shoot them, but you can't shoot somebody behind them, behind you, or somewhere else. Yep. Okay, so if you're engaged, you have to take that. They've also got lookout, sir. Same thing. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with a missile weapon. If the target is an enemy hero within three inches of an enemy unit, that has three or more model. doesn't apply if the enemy hero has a wound characteristic of 10 or more. That's pretty much the same. The difference is the number of wounds. Okay. I believe it was capped at like seven before. Okay, so it's 10 or more now. Yeah, so now, now you do have some bigger heroes who can... Eight. Seven, eight, yeah. Yeah, and, and some of those were, you know, more destruction-based heroes okay. that couldn't gain the ability of lookout, sir. And now they have it. Okay. Despite their army being, you know, also quite large, and <laughs> they could conceivably, you know, be able to get lookout, sir, from their surrounding units. Okay. And so in the shooting phase, the command abilities that you are, you know, going to have access to are all-out attack and all-out defense, which you're, mm-hmm. for the most part, going to be using yep. in the combat phase. You know, all-out attack is a plus one to hits on your profile, Mm -hmm. and all-out defense is a plus one to your save if you are Mm -hmm. the unit being attacked. Sure. And the nice thing about them is you don't have to spend them until you are selected to make the action or be selected as the target of an action. So that's shooting phase. Let's do the charge phase, and then we'll take a break. Mm -hmm. It's the same as it was before. You can attempt to make a charge if you're within 12 inches of an enemy unit. Fair enough. Yep. You can attempt a charge roll with 2d6. Some units have exceptions that use 3d6. You have to finish your charge move within half an inch of an enemy model. The first model must. And if you can't get within that half an inch with the first model, that charge was not successful. Correct. Right. So that's how you have to make sure you get the measurement. Yeah. And this is one of those good gaming etiquettes at an event. One of the things that I strongly recommend is before you roll those dice, measure the distance you and your opponent agree what that number is and therefore needs to be on the dice rolls so that there's no, you roll the seven, I think it's an eight, I think it's a six. You don't want that. Right. Do the measurement, gain agreement, then do the dice roll. So your command abilities in the charge phase, the one is the one that we've known for a while here, but it's called forward to victory, is after you make a charge roll for a friendly unit that has basically tried to make a charge you can re-roll the charge roll for that unit it doesn't the charge roll doesn't have to have failed but you can look to go fishing for a specific roll wave of terror yes <laughs> and on the receiving end you have unleash hell and this is not one that a lot of armies are going to have access to in a meaningful way mm-hmm. but what this is is you can use this command ability after an enemy unit finishes a charge move the unit that receives the command must be within nine inches of the enemy unit 
and more than three inches from all other enemy units. Mm -hmm. The unit that receives the command can shoot in that phase, but when it does, so you subtract one from hit rolls for its attacks, and it can only target the unit that made the charge move. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the unit that was charged. You have to be nearby, and you have to be out of combat. Brendan, if I get lookout, sir, for some reason, Mm -hmm. and somebody is shooting with me with Unleash Hell... The maximum that they would have to take is a minus one to hit me. Correct. Okay, because of the the total can only be minus yes. one. Yes. Okay, just to remind. So this, you know, at first I think the community was like, oh my God, shooting armies, insane. But now you have to put it in context and say only one unit can do this. One unit per charge phase. That is it. Unless you have the artillery battalion, but right. yes. In general, most armies are only going to be able to do this once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be devastating and it could be an important charge where you're getting shot up, but you're still at minus one to hit. They still have to take your models off the board. And it's only one unit. It's not like their whole shooty army is doing this to everybody. Right. You can't have charged and then they can't look over at your hero that's over there that's standing out there in the open and go, well, we're going to shoot him. Right. (laughs) No, the dice roll must be made against the unit that made the charge move. You must be within nine inches of that unit. You must target that unit, and you receive minus one to hit. Right. That's it. Yep. Them's the breaks. Yep. It's a nice reaction to have. It's something that's niche that you can do. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, you can charge a vampire lord on zombie dragon, and I can still pestilent breath you. Yep, absolutely. If I'm sitting on so many command points that I feel (laughs) uh, inclined to do that. But, yeah, that's an option. All right. I think that's it for charge, is it not? Yeah, that's it for the charge phase. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to jump into the combat phase, which is, many of you know, is where games are won and lost in a good bit of their entirety and include a lot of rules. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. So we're back, and we're going to jump right into the combat phase, Brendan. Mm Mm-hmm. And most of this did not change, at least up to the first few things. Fight sequence. Yep. Same as it was, you are selected to fight or you pass. Mm-hmm. A pass condition is when you have no one eligible to fight. Right. Uh, this does not mean that you get to just say, I have a unit that can fight. I don't want to. I want to wait until later. No. If you have a unit that is eligible to fight, you must select them. Now, you can choose to pile in zero inches, Mm -hmm. um, but you must fight with every weapon that's in range. And speaking of pile-in, there was one very subtle but very important change Mm -hmm. here when it comes to pile-in. Yes. You can move a model making a pile-in move up to three inches, unless your war scroll says otherwise. When you make a pile-in move with a model, it must finish the move no further from the nearest enemy unit than it was at the start of the move. Unit. Unit. Versus model. So normally what this meant in previous lives was you were able to just kind of circle around a monster, surround it with your unit. But now what you can do is you can flow around a unit with your units because it's a model to unit interaction. It is not a unit to unit interaction. Mm-hmm. Very important. Okay. I really like what they did in 12 War here, Brendan, because they're very, very specific in sequencing in terms of the combat phase. And I think we needed that. Yes. Clarification. Basically, what they did here, they again used the terms uh, strike first, strike last effects. But what they've said here is we got five specific things in the following order. The start of the combat phase abilities are used. Start of the combat phase specifically, and there are rules that say at the start of the combat phase. Mm -hmm. Units with first strike abilities attack then. 
Yes. So that's after start of the combat phase abilities. Mm-hmm. Units with first strike. Units that don't have first strike last strike effects go next. Yes. After the first strike. Units with strike last go next. And then end of phase abilities are last thing that go. There was a lot of confusion. Well, if it's strike last, is that at the same time as end of the combat phase? We weren't sure what it was. Now we know exactly what's going on. Yeah, because one and two used to be combined into the same period of time. And four and five used to be combined in the same period of time. Correct. And while the four and five interaction wasn't necessarily too big of a deal, Mm -hmm. the one and two interaction absolutely was. Yep. Yep. The the one two interaction prevented units from you know being able to use war scroll abilities or a player being able to use command abilities that might help them out in some spots. If you were a player with what was an equivalent of a strike first effect, mm-hmm. now everybody gets kind of a reasonable shake at what it is is supposed to be happening there. Sure, that's great. So when you are dealing with the strike first strike last effects, they spell out in a little example. Yes. On the side of what exactly that order of operations looks like. It is page 69, just for reference for you guys. Nice. But I think that's very, very important that you take a look at that and make sure you understand the sequencing there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. Nothing there fundamentally changed. You still can pile in if you're within three inches. You still can pile in if you charged. Mm-hmm. You know, you must activate units if they're in range. You must, you know, allocate attacks if you are able to. Fine. It's that little blurb in the bottom third of the page that Mm -hmm. I think it doesn't really change much. It just makes life a little bit easier because it gives you a set of steps that you're going to be able to walk through. It certainly clarifies things and that we need. Right. So, So now that you've declared what it is that you're going to be doing, you're going to be doing your fighting. Section 13 is attacking. It's the same. It's pretty much the same. It's the same, right? Shooting attacks are the same. You know, you still need visibility. The exception being, you know, if you're within three inches, then you have to pick, you know, a unit that you are within three inches of. Some things have a minimum range. You can't select things that are within the minimum range. Mm -hmm. In close combat, you have melee attacks. You have different profiles. You can roll dice together to speed things up. Mm -hmm. Your hit rolls are capped to plus and minus one. Your wound rolls are capped to plus and minus one. Your save is capped at plus one, but negative can be whatever. Damage is the same. Yeah. It's not like 40k where only one model can die. If you have a damage four weapon in, you know, fighting a unit of one wound models, you can kill four models with that one attack. Sure. Wound allocation is the same. You know, it's one at a time. Whole models have to die. And then, you know, you move on to the next one. You can't have a unit of 18 ogres because that's something you can have now. <laughs> and you can't give one wound to all of them. Right. And then the second wound to right. all of them. Yep. And then the third wound to all of them. As we said in 40K, you have to remove complete models first. Correct. That is the thing, yep. Yes. So, And this is also where we can issue either all-out attack or all-out defense mm-hmm. in terms of our command abilities that are available is right there. The important thing here is you can only use these in the shooting phase and the combat phase. You cannot use them in off phases with off times when things are fighting. So... If you have something that naturally fights out of sequence, for instance, Wave of Terror, or many armies have command abilities that let you fight in the hero phase, Correct. your opponent cannot select a unit to receive all-out defense in the same way that you cannot select a unit to all-out attack if you are fighting out of sequence. Right. They can only be used in the combat phase 
or the shooting phase. Right. So wave of terror, I can't use that in a wave of terror. No, but also your opponent cannot use plus one to save. Correct. Okay. Fair enough. And then we come to wounds. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much the same. I don't, there's not a whole lot of things, except we have a new term. Yes. Which most people are familiar with now. So instead of saying after save or whatever else. Death save, shrug, damage prevention roll. (laughs) They are all ward saves. And these are, these are after saves. That is what this is effectively, but you should start hearing people talk about, I've got a six-up ward saver. I've got a five-up ward save against normal wounds or something like that. Mm-hmm. And just so we, everybody's using a common language, we're, we're going back to that again, which is great. It's yes. Good. And so the way that this works, you make your hit rolls with whatever modifiers and re-rolls. You make your wound rolls with that whatever you know modifiers and re-rolls. You take that number of dice afterwards. Your opponent makes save rolls after, you know, after modifiers and re-rolls, mm-hmm. then the number of damage is determined. So if you are a D6, D3 weapon, you do that, or obviously one, two, three, four, five, six damage. Right. You determine the amount of damage that is going to be allocated to that unit, and it is in that step where you see if you are eligible for a ward save. Right. So ward saves are made to mitigate damage. Correct. They are not made to mitigate wounds. Right. So Your the- saves are for wounds. Wards are for damage. Correct. Okay. But this is about the allocation step. Correct. This is saying that before you allocate a wound to a model is when the ward would trigger. Mm-hmm. And that is where you roll because wound allocation comes after damage allotment. Mm-hmm. And some things have variant ward saves based on if it's a regular wound or a mortal wound. Correct. Some units have ward saves against one but not the other. Yes. Through different sets of rules. Cruciator, for example. It, exactly. Yep. So a Cruciator gives you a five up against regular wounds, mm-hmm. but you get your six up from being Night Haunt, if you are right. eligible and in range, for mortal, mortal wounds as well as regular. But given the choice, because you can only have one ward save. You for, always take your best save. You always want, unless you're trying to die. Right. Uh, that, could be a, that could be a thing, mm-hmm. sure. Yes. Yep. So ward saves have been there. Now it's just, this is what they're all called. And hopefully, we start seeing language in battle tomes and on war scrolls be changed to, you know, if you are within 12 inches of a blah, blah, blah hero, you have a six-up ward save. Right, right. Absolutely. Healing wounds is pretty much the same as it has always been. Mm -hmm. You can't heal wounds on, on model that's slain. That's true. But models can be brought back. Right, through rally, or right. if you have a rule within your army that lets you do so. Correct. Like right. Night Haunt and yeah. Soul Blight. Wow. The guys who are talking to you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Mortal Wounds, we talked about. I mean, that yeah. hasn't changed. That so, hasn't yeah, changed. Mortal Wounds still bypass the save characteristic. Uh, in many instances, sixes to hit, it'll just tell you to bypass the rest of the dice rolls, mm-hmm. and it would just move straight to your ward if you have one. Battle Shock is still Battle Shock, and we still have a command ability, which is Inspiring Presence, mm-hmm. but remember, you can only use that once in your, in your turn. Yes, so there are two important changes here that you need to be aware of. You no longer get plus one to your bravery for being a unit of 10 or more models. Correct. You do not get plus one for every 10. Does not exist anymore. Skaven have an FAQ that is kind of like that, but by and large, for the most part, you do not have that horde benefits anymore. You cannot hide by being a 60 brick of goblins. Okay. It's straight up what it's going to be. 
Then if a friendly unit is not coherent at the end of a turn, obviously coherency rules are different. You must remove models uh, from play one at a time until the unit is coherent. So that is after the actual battle shock dice roll occurs. Okay. So yeah. Right. And then yes, cool. you have inspiring presence. That's the same. But remember, you can only pick one unit to be inspired. Mm-hmm. So you got to pick wisely. Yep. A clarifier, something that I thought was definitely going to be the case with the way that the skeleton stuff works. If a slain model is returned to the unit in the same turn that it is slain, it still counts as having been slain in that battle round for the purposes of the battle shock test. Sure. Cool. Fine. Whatever. And then you reach the end of the battle round. Typically at the end of a player turn is when your scoring will occur. At the end of the battle round, all command abilities reset, and this is where you're going to do checks if you want of you killed a monster, you can score a point. Um, you can technically score it whenever, but this is a good stopping point for you and your opponent to say, hey, did I kill a monster this battle round? And they go, yeah, that was a monster. And you go, cool. Okay. Change my score. That's the function of the game. Everything mm-hmm. past here, 17 forward, is, we'll call it support documentation to you know what is occurring in the game so terrain dan okay terrain is terrain i the one thing that i found interesting it's kind of a parallel again is and i don't think this is a change brendan when you garrison units inside a piece of terrain it talks about that Mm -hmm. that if the piece of terrain is destroyed you roll a dice for each unit that comes out and if you roll a one, the unit dies. The model. The model dies, right. That mechanic is exactly what happens in 40K and transports. It's exactly the same thing. So if you're inside a big transport, it blows up, roll a dice for every model, and on ones, they die. Otherwise, they are set up within six inches of the dead model. Same mechanic. Yeah, so there are two things here that I think are worth pointing out. Okay. First off is 17.0.2, behind terrain. Mm -hmm. A target unit is considered to be behind a terrain feature if all of the following criteria are met. The target unit is more than three inches from the attacking unit. All of the models in the target unit are within one inch of a terrain feature. If it is impossible for the attacker to draw a straight line from the closest point of a model in the attacking unit to the closest point of a model in the target unit, the line is passed across the terrain feature. There are going to be interactions where being behind terrain is valuable because when you talk about cover, all of the units, you are considered being cover if all of the units are wholly on a terrain feature or behind a terrain feature. So you no longer have to be physically in the terrain to get a cover save. You can have your whole unit in and around that piece of terrain. Now, every model has to be within an inch of that terrain feature and you have to, you know, be drawing line of sight through the terrain, but that is more instances in which cover is available to you. Cover still adds plus one to your save, Mm -hmm. so cool, neat, fantastic, but the interaction therein is different. They codify what defensible terrain is, but they also spell out as the other, you know, part two of what's important here, 17.1.4, wildwood terrain. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, there were just a number of trees on the board and all of that stuff. So Wildwoods are a kind of terrain feature. They block line of sight unless you are 10 or more wounds. And most battlefields have some kind of trees on the mm-hmm. battlefield for the most part. Sure. So I think spelling that out in terms of what all that looks like was interesting. Obviously, behind cover is a major change that, that we're all going to take some time to pick up and be consistent with using exactly yep agreed because there have definitely been times where i have been in situations where i'm like oh yeah i could have 
Mm. <laughs> I could have just like moved this guy a little bit sure. and qualified for plus one save. Oh well. So next is garrisons, and I just talked mm. about how garrisons work. Yep. You know, in terms of if something blows up, and we're going to be demolishing terrain now, especially with monsters and other rules that if you got stuff inside of it, it could die on a one mm-hmm. if you roll a d6. Objectives and objective markers. So the objectives themselves are the same. Yes. Right? They are a singular point on the battlefield. Control is based on being within six inches of it, unless specified otherwise in a mission. It is based on model count. Yes. However, a unit cannot contest two different objectives. This was something that was from AOS 1.0, where a unit could not contest two objectives. They can only contribute models to one objective. And they have to choose. They do have to choose. But you can change between player turns. Mm -hmm. Things that have a wounds characteristic of five or more and is not a monster count as two for the purposes of contesting and things that have the monster keyword count as five yeah so being a monster is nice it it helps you out a little bit it's good it dilutes what ogres do a little bit they get to count as two though for being a four wound model and their monsters get to count as ten which is neat but you know the specialness of 10 versus one right. is lost Huge. a little bit in that translation. Right. And this is another thing where metamorphosis can come in handy, where you can transform your hero into a monster and go from being as low as a counting as one model up to five. In many cases, you're going to go from two to five, though. Okay. So that can swing control of an objective for you. That's real. Terrain control is something that's spelled out here because that is one of the grand strategies Correct. that uh, you can take is controlling more terrain than your opponent. And the difference between an objective and terrain is the terrain, you have to be within three inches of a part of the terrain feature to contest it instead of six. Mm-hmm. All right. And it can be any part of the terrain feature. It right. doesn't have to be within six of the center like it does for an objective. Yeah, because for so. some pieces of, of terrain, you're, they are just, you are well inside that terrain yes. feature uh, <laughs> in order to be able to contest it then. Sure. So, sure, sure. Just like I said on the front end of it, there are a lot of things here that are going to feel very, very familiar. It's just small tweaks. And the best piece of advice I can give is play a game or two. Play it really slow. You and your opponent just try and get every rules interaction right. Absolutely, Brendan. Yep. Yep. So wizards, Dan. Wizards Ooh. and priests. Wow. Wizards, priests, endless spells, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about the changes. Let's talk about Mystic Shield and Arcane Bolt first. Arcane Bolt, still a casting value of a 5 and a range of 12 inches. Yep. If successfully cast at the start of any one phase before your next hero phase, you can pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. That unit suffers one mortal wound. If that unit is within three inches of the caster, it suffers D3 instead of one. This is kind of like a shield that does damage when you get close enough. Yeah. And you can save it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Charge it so, up. Yep. The casting of your spells is the same. The difference mm-hmm. here is that if you roll a two... If the unmodified roll is a two, right. the spell is not cast, it the caster suffers D3 mortal wounds, and the caster cannot attempt to cast any more spells in that hero phase. Correct. Yeah. Something to keep an eye out for, because it's not something that we were paying attention to in previous editions of the game. Sure. you got to be looking for your own dice rolls and your opponents to be double ones. Okay. 
Let's go to Mystic Shield and talk about the changes here, Brendan. So Mystic Shield has a casting value of 5, which is less than it used to be. Yep. And it has a range of 12. Now. Yes. Okay. So the major change, instead of re-rolling 1s, right, on yep. your saves, you're adding 1 to your save roll. Correct. Very significant. Yes. Yes. This time, I got it right. It's very significant. <laughs> it's very significant. Yeah. So add 1 to save rolls. And, you know, here's the other thing where you have to really think through stuff. Because remember that you can only add one to your saves, right? Mm -hmm. You can't add more than one to your saves. Net one. Net one. But if you know somebody is going to have rend, you may want to stack your saves. Right. right. So pairing Mystic Shield with all-out defense for a plus two. Right. And pairing it with Finest Hour for another plus one somewhere else. Right. Because Rend is an unlimited modifier. Right. You can make as many negative modifiers to your save roll, but you can use all of these different positives to cancel different levels of Rend. So let's talk about the Vingorian Lord and Lockavai. For an example, mm -hmm. both of them have inherently... Well, reducing Rend by, by one. By one. Okay. Right. So let's assume that we give them... Mystic Shield, let's assume we give them all-out defense, they would then effectively have minus three, to, or they'd have a plus three against Rend. So if somebody has a four Rend, mm. like Kragnos, <laughs> Kragnos only has Rend three. Oh, Rend three, they only have, they have nothing. In fact, he, they've ignored the Rend. Right, because you've reduced Rend three to Rend two yes. by your just inherent War Scroll ability. Right. And then so the negative two modifier the first one is, you know, caught by Mystic Shield, we'll say. Right. So now they're negative one. And now that second negative one is captured by all-out defense. So you are net zero on your save modifier. Right. So whatever attacks go through. You are ignoring Ren, essentially. Correct. Okay. All right. Just as an example. Okay, mm -hmm. perfect. So that's the two base spells yep. that we have here now. And then when you go to... Unbind, it's mm -hmm. still 30 inches. You still only make one unbinding roll per casting. And it attempt. still has to be greater than the casting roll. Correct. Yep. Tie goes to the wizard. Yep. <laughs> Tie goes to the wizard. True. So that's basic spell stuff. Now we have endless spells, and this has changed gobs. <laughs> it's yeah. very different. Yeah. Very different. So different, right, that they have their own section, right? 19.3 is just yep. endless spells. Yep. Their own subheader, all their own. Yeah. Casting endless spells is the same as casting regular spells, so mm -hmm. that's still the same. Yep. Fine. You can still miscast on them. You still have whatever restrictions you have where you need to be able to summon, you know, have a wizard who can do the summoning of that spell. Uh, one of the changes here is you can't borrow endless spells across armies anymore. Right. Okay. Because your whole army has to be within a faction. The spell that you're borrowing is not within that faction, and they're not a coalition unit. So, like, if you want to cast Comet in a Cities of Sigmar army, too bad, so sad, you can't do it. Because it is not part of that faction, and it's not a coalition unit. Right. Therefore, you would be breaking your faction rule. Okay. So, you have access to all the generics all the time in terms of what you're able to purchase, and whatever mm -hmm. is in your faction-specific army. Now, do you have to pick... A spell for a wizard. Give that wizard a specific endless spell. No. Okay, you do not need to do that. Okay. No. It's just that each you can wizard only, can have one. Yes, you can only bring one per wizard. Okay, gotcha. Up to, or I believe it it's three. Three or four, yeah. The spelling of endless spells, you can attempt to unbind them mm -hmm. at the casting roll, but once they are on the battlefield, you can attempt to dispel them. 
and you can attempt to dispel them, number one, in the same way that you did before by spending one of your casting attempts in your hero phase. But now you can attempt to dispel with priests. That's the big difference here. Mm -hmm. If a wizard attempts to dispel an endless spell, they can attempt to cast or unbind one fewer spell in that hero phase. Mm -hmm. The unbind is the one change because, you know, now other hero phases is what matters. If a priest attempts to dispel an endless spell, they can chant one fewer prayers in the hero phase. The same player cannot attempt to dispel the same endless spell more than once per phase. So it's a 30-inch... Uh, range to attempt to dispel the endless spell. Mm-hmm. If the wizard or priest is doing it, they make a dispelling roll, which is separate from everything else at this point. Sure. By rolling a 2d6, if the roll is greater than the casting value of the spell, that's on the war scroll. And that's the original casting value. The original casting value on the war on scroll. On the war scroll, yes. not what they rolled to do. Yeah. It, right? it is dispelled and removed from play. An endless spell cannot be summoned again in the turn that it is removed from play. So you can't use it to move in the start of the hero phase, do its damage, take it out, then say, cast it back on the table. Which was a very common practice. People did that a lot. Yeah, well, especially with the high damage stuff. Mm -hmm. So we can't do that anymore. All right. You can remove the endless spell if it's dispelled. An endless spell touches the edge of the battlefield. So Mm -hmm. if it goes wild, you can move it off the table. Or... There's some other method in which the endless spell is removed. Okay. So some endless spells are bound to wizards, mm-hmm. in which case, if the wizard dies, the spell goes with them, or the spell resolves in a manner in which it is supposed to be removed from play, regardless. Okay. Units of wizards are codified. So some units have the wizard keyword. Lumineth? No. 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 They have a model in the unit that is a wizard, which Correct. is very different. But it's not a unit of wizards. Correct. Okay. A unit of wizards is something like pink horrors. I gotcha. Okay. Right. So in the case of a unit of wizards, you have to pick one model in which is doing the casting. And then if they were to miscast or something were to happen, you can allocate to that whole unit. The FAQ spells out what happens in those instances okay. specifically. Perfect. So no, Lumineth are not... Uh, crazy units of wizards. Any more crazy? They have a model that is a wizard. Okay, though. in the unit. Yes, and that is its own Thing. Pandora's box. Yes. Okay. Predatory endless spells, Dan. So there were a lot of changes to endless spells. Yes. This is where the largest portion of the changes are. Correct. And this is for specifically predatory endless spells that we're talking about. Correct. Okay. You determine which are controlled and which are wild. That's the first thing before you move a predatory spell. When do you move them? After determining who controls them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, right. So predatory spells are, are moved at the end of the hero phase. Correct. Okay. Yes. At the end of the hero phase. You figure out if they're wild or not. A predatory in the spell within 30 inches of the model that summoned it is controlled. By that model. By that wizard. Yep. Only that wizard. Mm-hmm. A wizard can control one predatory spell per hero phase. If there's more than one predatory in the spell that a friendly wizard could control, you have to pick which one it controls. After you determine control, the player whose turn it is taking place moves all the predatory spells controlled by friendly wizards. Their opponent does the same, okay? Mm-hmm. Once all the controlled predatory endless spells have been moved, the player's alternate picking one wild predatory spell, which would mean, Brendan, it's not controlled by a specific wizard. Correct. It's not That's controlled by anybody, yes. It's controlled by so nobody. You, so right? you can only control the spells in which you cast. Right. The main thing for me is that... Since you control the spell, mm-hmm. nobody can take the spell from you. 
anymore. Nobody, in other words, in, in 2.0, somebody else could take control of the spell and use it against you in many cases. So there were spells you didn't take because it could be used to the benefit of your enemy. Right. The yeah. risk was too high. Right. Here, that risk is minimized because if you control it, you're the one who uses the benefit, mm-hmm. not your enemy. Now, you do have to remain within 30 inches of that spell by the caster. Correct. You can't, that wizard can't have cast another endless spell because then they have to pick which one they're controlling. Exactly. And the other one becomes wild, right? Exactly. And then, you know, the wild models that are endless spells are at the whim of, you know, the rest of the turn order. But moving endless spells at the end of every hero phase is going to be important. I have not played many games with endless spells yet, but you can use all of that to set up all sorts of different shenanigans across the table. You know, different healing abilities, different damage abilities, mm-hmm. you know, handing out different effects. Sure. Right? Like the Wildfire Taurus hands out and always strikes last mm-hmm. bubble. But now it's units that are within that range. So you can use the Taurus, move it to a location where its aura is going to be effective as opposed to it being kind of just left in a random part of the board sure that's very good yeah it makes them very much more powerful some spells much more powerful if they're predatory yeah okay anything else about moving them them being wild no it's going to take a minute to get used to that new interaction and when things move and how they move and who controls them Mm -hmm. because we're just used to being like okay well if i go second this endless spell that's in my face that I don't want to be here, I'll just... Get rid of it. I'll just send it back. The other thing that's nice is you can do... You can attempt endless spell dispelling in your opponent's turn. Because if you know that there are some spells that they want to cast that you don't really care about, but this endless spell is a big stinking deal Mm -hmm. by existing... Heroic action, if you need to. Right, you can heroic action to remove it or you can spend one of your unbind attempts to make a dispel attempt. Sure. Which is good. Yeah. And now your priests can, can also do something about it. Then let's move on to priests. Mm-hmm. What about priests? Priests are a little more useful than they were before. You no longer have all these different prayer roles. The ability to summon it is called a chanting role. And the ability to do so is an answer value. You need to equal or exceed the answer value with your chanting roll in order for a prayer to work. Okay. Priests now have access to generic prayers, Mm -hmm. but everybody that rolls a one on their chanting roll suffers a mortal wound now. Okay, right. Oh, well. But there were some priests that, that didn't happen to them, so now there's a penalty. You have bless, which is an answer value of a four, so this is a, a four up dice roll. And a range of 12, if answered, pick one friendly unit wholly within range, invisible to the chancer. Until the start of your next hero phase, the unit has a ward save of six. I like that these are a little bit different between Mystic Shield and Arcane Bolts. You know, mm-hmm. the, it means that there's unique value in each of the interactions. Sure. And then Smite, which is an answer value of a two, so a two up. <laughs> okay. A range of 48. If answered, okay. pick one enemy priest within range, invisible to the chancer. That enemy priest suffers one mortal wound. If the chanting roll was a six... Or more, the priest suffers D3 mortal wounds instead of one. Okay. Neat. Yeah, that's cool. All right. And then invocations are very similar to endless spells with the unique clarifier of banishing. So only priests 
can banish. And in doing so, you do it at the start of your hero phase as opposed to at the start of the hero phase. And it costs you a prayer roll attempt to attempt to banish an invocation. But if you're a wizard or something else, you can't banish invocations. Correct. Okay. Only priests can banish invocations. Mm -hmm. Wizards cannot. Wow. The thing that's nice here, right, is you do get the ability to do a little bit of counter praying. Uh, It's not what I wanted where, you know, you can make a reverse prayer attempt, you know, like your opponent tries to cast Bless and you would try and outroll them on an an unpray situation. Sure. But at least you can get rid of the the very few invocations that exist in the game right now through your own means which is useful as opposed to it disappearing by strictly chance right Uh, (laughs) right and the nice thing is the priest can dispel endless spells and banish invocations yes wizards can only dispel endless spells and that makes sense right from a narrative perspective absolutely the wizards have no control over you know a prayer (laughs) right yeah cool all right then let's move on i think that's it for those Mm -hmm. Uh, let's move on to monsters 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 what do we got we have a monstrous rampage table Mm mm-hmm Basically, you can pick a friendly monster, correct? Yep. You have to have the keyword monster in order to do this. Monster, yep. So there are things that are monsters that are not behemoths. Right. And you have things that are behemoths that are not monsters. And you have things that are neither, but they could be made a monster with a spell. Yes. Yes, Spell, right. Yes. Metamorphosis, correct. Yep. At the end of the charge phase, each player can carry out one monstrous rampage from the table below with each friendly monster... The player whose turn is taking place carries out all their monstrous rampages first. The same player cannot carry out the same monstrous rampage more than once per phase. So at maximum, there are four monstrous rampages that you can achieve at the end of any charge phase. Sure. First one, it's a really good one, is Roar. You pick one enemy unit within three inches of this model and roll a dice. On a three-up, that unit cannot issue or receive orders in the following combat phase. Unless... They are hunters. Correct. Unless they are hunters <laughs> of the heartland, and then no unit can be selected as a target of a monstrous rampage from that battalion. Right. Okay. And then we have Stomp, mm-hmm. which you tried to do a couple times, I think, in our last game. Yeah. Uh, one enemy unit within three inches of this model that is not a monster. My coaches aren't monsters. That's right. And roll a dice on a two-up. It suffers D3 mortal wounds. Yeah, fair. I like that it's not a monster because stomping a monster would just be like trying to step on its toes for the most part. (laughs) King Um, Kong versus Godzilla. Right. (laughs) So in exchange, you can engage in a titanic duel. Yes. Where you pick one enemy monster within three inches of this model. Add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this model that target that enemy monster until the end of that following combat phase. Okay. The important one to note here is you have to fight that other monster in order to gain the plus one to hit. So you cannot be like, I'm going to Titanic duel this guy over here and now swat these infantry to death with a plus one to hit. Okay. If you want to do that, you need to all out attack and then target that unit. Sure. Or if you know you're minus one to hit that other monster, you Titanic duel and then toss an all out attack on top of it for the benefit. Now, this next one is very interesting. You pick one faction terrain feature or defensible terrain feature within three inches of this model. Roll a dice on a three up. The terrain feature is demolished if it was defensible. And the scenery rules on its war scroll cannot be used for the rest of the battle if it was a faction terrain feature. Correct. That's really scary for some people that rely at some level on their faction terrain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's for the rest of the game. It's not 
just that turn. No, it's gone. Ooh, wow, that's that's really good. <laughs> so one of the things I like to see people do is take their faction terrain, buy a second faction terrain, and that second faction terrain, you like rubbleize, you destroy uh, that's it. That's great. That's awesome. And when your opponent comes over and smashes it to rubble, you just that's you just replace awesome. it. I'd like to see people do that, and people would be like, well, Brendan, why don't you do it? like, well, because I have, like, all of the faction terrain. Give yeah, me a minute. Yeah, of course. If, if you play one army, yeah, why not do this? Of course. Like, yeah, you know, it, it sucks that your terrain feature got destroyed, but, like... Make it cinematic. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Help, help us out here. Make it cinematic. Do some cool stuff. Coolio. So, Monsters Rampages... Yeah, big deal. Great stuff. War Scrolls, it tells us about War Scrolls. Yeah, section 22 is War Scrolls. Yeah, nice. Nothing has changed. Yeah, if you're new to the game, read this. If you're not, go over to Battalions. (laughs) And a lot of this has been moving in the direction of how it it spells all this out. Mounts, companions, crew. More and more recent War Scrolls have already been doing that. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Okay, so let's do Battalions. Huge change. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge change. The basic piece here is that if you have War Scroll Battalions in your Battle Tomes, mm-hmm. they are no longer valid for match play. Match play. Yes. They can still be used in narrative, open play, whatever you'd like to use them for, but they're not Yeah, if, if you are going to just a tournament, mm-hmm. chances are War Scroll Battalions are not legal. That is correct. But um, it is something that a TO could make legal, but they would make clear exception Yes. That, that that is what's going to happen. For whatever reason. So we have six basic core battalions here. And then the two that we talked about right. in the handbook. Right. The way this works is each battalion gives you a minimum number of units of different types. We have commanders, which are leaders. With battlefield trait. Right. Battlefield trait. Uh, we have sub-commanders, which are leaders with wounds characteristics of less than 10. We have troops, which is anything that's not a leader, artillery, or behemoth. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have artillery, which is what it sounds like. And we have monsters that are behemoths and not a leader. And this is a conversation I had with uh, Steve Potassic at Partners at War. We really wish that the monster selection, they had used a different word. Mm-hmm. You could have called it behemoth you know, and matched it with artillery. But mm-hmm. using the word monster, yeah. which has a demonstrably different meaning... Correct. In this game, from Behemoth, is very confusing to some people. So, like, one of these battalions, Linebreaker, mm-hmm. includes a commander and two monsters and an optional monster. Mm-hmm. Well, the coach does not have the monster keyword, no. but qualifies for Linebreaker because, because it be- is a battlefield Behemoth. Yes. But someone who's looking at that at face value is not going to understand that. <laughs> yes. So, what is important here for the unit icons is the battlefield role. Yes. Some things lose different battlefield roles by being in some armies and therefore no longer become eligible for some, but become eligible for others. Correct. So like Stonehorn Beast Riders in Ogre Maw Tribes lose the behemoth battlefield trait, but gain the battle line battlefield trait, and so would not be eligible for any monster selections but would be eligible for any troop selections. They would be able to fill a troop slot. Mm-hmm. So you've got a minimum amount and you've got optional amounts, which are shaded. So you know what types and how many of each unit you have to have to meet the requirements 
to gain the benefits of that core battalion. Correct. Core battalions cost nothing. You can have multiples of core battalions. Of the same battalion, too. Yes. Yes. Allied units can go in core battalions. They Coalition can. units can go in core battalions. Let's use Linebreaker as an example. Mm-hmm. So Linebreaker has one commander that is required and two required behemoths and a third optional. Yes. That is Linebreaker. Yep. Now, each of these has a benefit or an ability, and that icon is on the bottom. It's explained here on the page. Very self-explanatory. But for example, Linebreaker, what it does, it gives you the expert ability. And once per battle, one unit from this battalion can receive the all-out attack or defense command without the order being issued or without the command point being spent. That is very, very important. Because if I use this ability on one of my coaches, for example, that means that I'm not spending the command point and it doesn't count as that being issued. Right. So... The unit receives the command ability. Though, Correct. Right? So the unit that is that the all-out attack has been used on... That receives it. That receives it. Cannot receive it more than once. Right. That's correct. Okay. Just to clarify for everybody, that's the way that works. So I could do that. Wouldn't cost me a thing. It doesn't count as being issued, mm-hmm. which is great. There's another one that says Magnificent. When you pick enhancements, which we'll talk about, you get to pick an extra one. Great. Are these all like amazing? A lot of them are once per game that you do these things. No, but they're free. Right. For nothing. You're getting these for nothing. Why would you not do this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's abilities that you don't have. It's It's free rules. It's like a bonus, you know, bonus drink. Yeah, I bought one and get another one free. Okay, cool. Right. Back in AOS 1.0, battalions were so cheap. They were like 50 points, 60 points, 70 (laughs) points. That sometimes you get to like weird endpoints of your list writing. And the first question someone would ask you is, well, do you have any battalions you're eligible for? Mm. Mm. Right? The difference here is they're free, but you don't gain anything in reducing your drops unless you take, you know, the one that lets you be a one drop. But in doing so, you have to deploy it all at the same time. Correct. You don't get an extra command ability or a command point. Some of them do specifically, but once per battle, you don't get an extra, don't get an extra artifact. artifact, except for the ones that tell you that you do get an extra enhancement. And then you mm-hmm. have to make a choice of what that enhancement is. It's different. You have to think about things a little bit differently in order to approach the results. But it's one of these where I found a couple of favorites, things that I really like doing. And a lot of my lists end up being constructed relatively similarly because, you know, in many cases I am looking for... An extra artifact, right? You know, an extra enhancement. Yep. Well, okay. So that means at minimum, I need to commit three heroes of some variety, three leaders to a battalion. Warlord battalion. To a warlord or the entourage, the the command entourage. But I have to commit three leaders, two of which have to be nine wounds or fewer, Mm -hmm. to those battalions. Mm Mm-hmm. That's where your choices kind of revolve around. The rest of it, sometimes you end up in places where you're just like, oh, I guess I do qualify for this, so I'll take it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend that people take those and try to work with those. All right. We have allegiance abilities. Mm-hmm. There's no, uh, there are a few things here, but it's. The allegiance as- abilities themselves don't change. No. It's the It's the way enhancements work that are the things that, that have changed. Right. And they're a subheading here underneath. Mm-hmm. When you take your army, you get a command trait that goes on your general. You get one artifact. Every wizard can take a spell. Every priest can take a prayer. You have mount traits that are going to be dictated by your army of how many can have what. Mm -hmm. 
you also select your triumphs at the start of the game mm-hmm. or at, at the list building stage. Correct. And you take that with you through every game. Now, you might not get your triumph because you might be more points than your opponent, mm-hmm. but you take it with you. Mm-hmm. The only restrictions on you know some of these enhancements are you know artifacts cannot affect you know mounts and command traits cannot affect mounts unless noted otherwise right when you generate another enhancement you have to pick from these different enhancements that you give so you can give another artifact you can give every wizard another spell Mm -hmm. you can give every priest another prayer you can select another triumph which if you're playing a bunch of points down not a bad thing Mm -hmm. you can take duplicates of the same enhancement except for artifacts so you could take two of the same triumph you could take two of the same prayer if you wanted not really Mm -hmm. sure why you'd want to do that but i get you could yeah seems like a weird choice but whatever okay the other thing here is unique enhancements that are sub-faction based we talked about this a little bit on the last show Mm -hmm. is you can no longer hide your selection of artifacts. So if your sub-faction requires the first Knight of Shrouds yep. to take the Sword of sword Stolen of, Hours or whatever. Pokey Sword, yep. You can't just say, oh, well, I'm not going to give him an artifact. And, you know, I'll, I have two artifacts and I'll give them to the other people. He didn't receive one. Mm-hmm. If you have a model that is eligible to receive it, it must receive that artifact before you allocate any other artifact-based And the only way to get around that for your first one is not to take a Knight of Shrouds. Yes. Because if you don't take the Knight of Shrouds, then you could give it to somebody else mm-hmm. as your first artifact. But if he's there, he has to take it. Correct? Right. You, yep. you can't take the unit you want to take right. and also avoid right. the, yeah. the bad artifact. No double dipping that way. Yeah. Correct. You can't do that. All right. Yep. So then we get five tables of universals. Mm-hmm. And so you have generic command traits yep. and artifacts and spells and prayers and triumphs. Yes. And Dan, universal command traits, are there any that really stand out to you? With the rules in my army, mm-hmm. that my general is normally not somebody that I'm going to want in combat. I'm usually going to do the skill leader, which is on a five up. I'm going to get one extra command point. So fair enough. And I'm going to roll a four up and hopefully get another one (laughs) from the new rules. What do you think? So many of these are, I would much just rather, because like your army typically has some version of these. Yes. And they're almost always better. Or you're taking a sub faction where, you know, it comes up. There's nothing in here that I am standard just going to be like, Right. Oh, yeah. You know, you got to take this. Yeah. Now, if you have an army that's like priest based and you really want to, yeah. you know, get past it or your command traits don't exist and or are garbage. Rerolling chanting rolls. That's pretty good. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. The reroll run and charge rolls for your general. It's not bad. But it, chances are you're playing a faction that wants you to do that anyways. And there's already a command trait that does that for right. you. Right. Like it's right. probably. Yeah. It's super annoying. But yes. How about artifacts of power? Let's go to that. And why don't you pick one of those that you thought. First might and most obvious. Amulet of Destiny. The bearer has yeah. a ward of five up. Absolutely. What, five up ward save. Never bad thing. On um, giants is really good. <laughs> Now, we were talking about the spell lords. Yeah, the arcane tome or the... Oh, the spell lords themselves. Spell lords themselves, yes. Mm-hmm. The levitate is pretty good. Uh, now, it comes at a hefty price. It does. First of all, it's a casting value of eight. That's 
big. Yeah. Right? And you pick a friendly unit that's wholly within range, 18 inches of the caster invisible. Unit can fly until your next hero phase. But eight is a big cast. Mm -hmm. Unless you got plus three to the cast. Yeah, or something something like that. Sure. Right? Now, the other one was, you were talking about Ghost Mist, which you're just like, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't totally understand the value of Ghost Mist. It has a casting value of five and a range of six. If successfully cast, pick one terrain feature within range and visible the caster. Until your next hero phase, visibility between two models is blocked if a straight line one millimeter wide drawn between the closest point of two models passes across more than three inches of that terrain feature. This effect does not block visibility to or from models with a wounds characteristic of ten or more. Basically, it becomes a wildwood. Okay. The shooting phase occurs after you get to move. I would be real interested to know what terrain feature you are going to cast this spell on that is one big enough for you to, you know, basically mm-hmm. hide that three inches in. Mm-hmm. And also in a position where it's tactically advantageous of you to just toss your unit in there and wait. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a big fan of the flaming weapon. It has a casting value of a four. You pick one of the caster's melee weapons, add one of the damage characteristics of that weapon to your go. next hero phase. There are plenty of decent fighty wizards in this game. You know, and adding one to their damage roll is pretty all right. Mm-hmm. Universal Prayers, Dan. I know which one I like. Uh, go ahead. Curse. Yeah. Has an answer of four and a range of nine inches. If answered, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible the chancer. So your next hero phase, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack that targets that unit is a six, that unit suffers one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. Sure. Sixes are mortal wounds. Yeah. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah. Pretty nice. On that unit. Yeah, pretty nice. Now it's a four, so it's a 50-50 split, but... Nice. I would have to go with that. Just okay. Because there's all kinds of D3 healing all over the place. And it's like, uh, if I'm going to make the choice, I'm going to go ahead and go with with Mortal Wounds. Right. I like Guidance, but it's a five. Five from for a command point. And you have other prayers that you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Triumphs. Yeah. For me, it's indomitable. Mm-hmm. You don't run. It's pretty handy. Yeah. Once per battle... After you take a Battleshock test for a friendly unit, you can say it is indomitable. If you do so, no models from that unit will flee in that Battleshock phase. Very valuable. What's nice here is it's after you make the roll. Yeah. So you could do a one, and you'd be like, okay, cool, I didn't have to use indomitable. Or you roll a six, and you're like, I cannot afford to have two guys go. I'm a big fan of inspired. Once per battle, after you pick a friendly unit to shoot or fight, you can say it is inspired. If you do so, add one to wound rolls for attacks made by that unit until the end of that phase. Mm Mm-hmm. Both those two are good, and then the third one is good as well, which is Bloodthirsty. It gives you a free reroll without having to spend a command point. That's pretty all right. Yeah, no, that's, that is pretty good. Mm-hmm. The last thing we want to talk about here, it's under Battle Packs, and it's just to mention, again, we mentioned it a little bit at the beginning, but there is a table for Mysterious Terrain, mm-hmm. and it is the old table. It is so, the old table with a few slight changes. Yep. The distances are back to one inch, whereas... In the old table, it was originally three inches. Okay. The other big change here is that Mystical also adds one to chanting and banishment rolls for sure. models. Okay. In addition to the six-up ward, but it no longer has the stupefaction from the original right. table. But right. yes, this this is the original table in its original form. The distances are reduced, but the words are a little bit different. Okay, so that is it for... For the core rules. Core rules, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk you through a top-down view. Yeah, 
of the fact. And Brendan, you've gone through this. Thank you. There's a lot of great stuff in here. So listeners, be sure to come back for this. We're going to go over the fact in just a minute. Mm-hmm. You've got to ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Listeners, it's time to fact. Yep. So before we dive in, I want to give kind of a clarifying statement to what this next section here is. Okay. So the FAQs updates are for all prayers, all faction terrain, all faction endless spells, and anything that really didn't work for 3.0 got an update somewhere in here. Okay. For more information, read your FAQ. Everything here are just top ideas that we feel are just most important for most people to know. There are minor nuances that I didn't cover in here that aren't going to impact most people. Okay. There are a number of artifact changes. The artifact changes typically went from re-rolls of some variety, re-rolls of one, re-rolls all, went to giving a benefit of plus one to whatever. Sure. You know, it is that you were you were going to go after. Okay. A lot of this, they're trying to minimize re-rolls. Sure. Re-rolls are to be rare. Okay. But so, yes, core rules, Dan. So the first thing you have here is the effect of AOE command abilities are spelled out very specifically. Mm-hmm. The issuer is affected, but the units in the bubble are not affected. Right. Well, so they receive the effect, right. but they don't receive the command ability in the, you know, the legalese that is the okay. core rules. Right. The issuer is still the issuer, and that is their command ability that they have issued, but the units that are in range are not considered to have received the command ability and so can receive other orders from a from another direction. Okay. And you can't take multiples of the same order. Right. But it's it's one of those things that are kind of a no brainer. It's in there. Yes. Okay. So why don't you go through some of the order stuff here? There's a fair amount. Yeah. So in the order section, Cities of Sigmar, coalition units cannot be made generals except for Aventus Firestrike in Hammerhall. Okay. A lot of times people would really enjoy taking Stormcast generals in Cities of Sigmar to achieve certain things. Mm -hmm. No dice anymore. You have the Stormkeep sub-faction. That is your version of Cities of Sigmar if you want to have a Stormcast general being surrounded by Cities of Sigmar models. Daughters of Cain had a lot of changes to their artifacts. They had a lot of things that were re-rolls and are now pluses in okay. their respective categories. Chanting rolls, save rolls, hit rolls, all that jazz. All right. Ideneth Deepkin, Volternos no longer has to be your general to use his command ability. Wow. And you know what? That's a fair trade. You since you can no longer stack, you don't get to keep command points. His becomes a one use only. Right, you can only use his command ability in high tide, and he can only select three units. Period. Fine. He doesn't have to be the general. I'm good with it. And then the Cloud of Midnight artifact, you can't use to trigger near your opponent and just go, ha ha, you can't shoot anybody. It's just that model is no longer considered the closest. Mm-hmm. So the next closest you can shoot unit somebody else. would be that. Oh. Yes. For Caradron Overlords, they didn't get the change that a lot of Caradron Overlord players I know were hoping for in that there was going to be clarification around being able to give Aether Gold to different units that no longer became eligible for them because of reinforcement limits. But they did get a lot of their language brought into line for 3.0. Okay. Lumineth Realm Lords, Twin Stones are now one cast per usage before you could just like leave them out on the board and pull and push and pull and push casting bonuses in and out of it. Uh, The fact that you can only spend 
the plus bonuses to cast once per summoning of Twin Stones is a big deal. Seraphon can only be bound to one spell. Uh, they cannot cast other endless spells, but bound spells cannot go wild. Okay. Cool. All right. Mm-hmm. You you pay a premium for bound spells, so you might as well be able to do something with it. Mm-hmm. There were changes in Stormcast. I'm not going to talk about them. We're going to read their new book in like a month. Sure. So yeah. everyone bear with me on as this one. As you said, heaven help us when that comes up. Yeah. It's going to be a beast. Sylvanath, the trees changed again for some reason. They were in a good spot with the Kragnos battle tome. Now they're okay. Again. Yeah, it I'm really sorry, Sylvanath players. It's I don't know why they keep doing this. But Kurnoth Root's ability is now plus one to save and not reroll save. Which is consistent with some of these other changes. It, exactly. It is very consistent with the other changes and it's disappointing because it's one of the things that uh, Sylvaneth players could pretty reasonably rely upon to have a relatively durable unit. Yes, this does add durability, but it's not as good as being able to just blanket reroll saves. True. So that's what I grabbed for order. So bumping into Chaos. Mm-hmm. Beast of Chaos, the area of effect strikes last on the bull is just a generic blank three inches. You don't have to have killed any models. It's just units that are in range of that three-inch range of the bull have the strike last ability, which is interesting, but you can move away and around, and but you can use the bull as, as a spacing blocker. Okay. The next one here is covers Korn, Zinch, Slanesh, and Nurgle. They all have the same coalition rule. Slaves to Darkness units can be two out of four, Units selected in that army, and Beasts of Chaos can be one out of four. They gain the appropriate keyword for that you know army that they're being added to because the War Scroll Battalion for Beasts of Chaos that gave them marks are gone. Mm-hmm. And the addition in Corn is you cannot have coalition units that have the wizard keyword. That makes sense with Corn. Y- yes. Hello. Yeah. It's about time. Yes. <laughs> and then coalition units cannot be generals across Fair. them okay then when you get into zinch flamers only get plus one to hit from their war scroll they used to be able to get plus two the bigger your unit was they are inherently capped at plus one which is fine they didn't need okay. to be any better nurgle had some mighty big changes that are pretty important cloud of flies on plague bearers is just a blankest minus one to hit in shooting and close combat mm-hmm. if you have at least 10 models that's pretty sizable mm-hmm. uh, because it used to be unit size based light lords are considered elite so they can issue, issue their own commands yeah great the demon locus on plague bears which was re-rolling save rolls of one is now plus one save they are now a four up save in range That's of insane. of a demon hero <laughs> and they still have a, a a five up after save right yeah a ward save and there's sub factions that reduces ren by one like I said at the top of the show, Plague Nurgle bears. demons are pretty good now. Plague bears, man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Blades of Putrefaction still triggers on modified six pluses. That's weird. Very weird. Yeah. Modified sixes. Yeah. Somehow yeah. that escaped yeah. the, the review process. Yep. Skaven. Skaven. Thankwool's warp fire projectors are no longer multiples. So... The way that the warp fires used to work is you used to roll, used to measure the number of models in range. Then you used to multiply that by the number of warp fire projectors you had on Bone Ripper. Jeez. 
And then you rolled that many dice, and for every four up, it was a mortal wound. You now, it does not matter how many warp fire projectors you have. You only get to roll four ups for the units that are in range of that unit. Okay, a four up for each unit. It's not number of models times number of warp thrower projectors. It's now just, do you have warp fire thrower projectors? Number of models in range, four ups. Okay, gotcha. Good. Woo! The strength in numbers now reduces the roll by one for Battleshock tests for every 10 models in the unit, as opposed to getting plus two to your bravery for every 10. But this is still important because basically no one else has this kind of modifier. Okay. Most faction terrain gain the impassable rule. Except... It's important to note here on gnaw holes that they are impassable because people would set them up physically in the gnaw hole to avoid, you know, nine-inch bubbles from other people. Now you cannot stand okay. on the gnaw hole. The gnaw hole is impassable for oh, good. teleportation purposes. Right. It it becomes a bit of a difficult thing for Skaven players, but that's an important uh, FAQ to, to be aware of. All right. Slaves of Darkness, Archeon gains an exception to play in all of the Godmark factions just outright because he can. Because, yeah. The one true exception to... Some of those coalition rules. Over to death, Flesh Eater Court, Feeding Frenzy Language, changed to align to 3.0. It gives you ranges on who is eligible to issue it that is very similar to what it is that you see in the core rules of heroes versus generals and, okay. and things like that. And Nighthaunt, we got... We've talked about it a couple times. Coach is a totem, which mm-hmm. is huge. It's a pseudo-hero now. And just like the Blight Lords... Blade guys are elite, so yes. they have a unit champion. They can issue commands well. Okay. And that's good. Yeah. Uh, so Osiarch Bone Reapers, their relentless discipline point generation changed, and now they get more relentless discipline points. Nice. Um, they still can't use generic command abilities, so I genuinely do not know what you're going to be spending all of this relentless discipline points on, Ugh. and since you can't double stack, you know, shield wall and things like that, you don't need more. Like, you need more command abilities. Sure. Petrifex got changed again. They now reduce rend by one. Okay. Which I think is a much better That's change than, than the change that they had last time. I think this is probably the decent middle ground to find between what they started as of just generic plus one save across the board. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was reroll save rolls of one was the last fix, which was useless. And this is is valuable, right? It's good, but it's not so good that it changes the nature of your army. And we've seen this before. This is not some kind of a precedent. Mm -hmm. We've seen it, and it seems to be more and more common among different battle terms. So now we got Soulblight. Yeah, so Um, Soulblight Gravelords, Hunter's Snare, which is a command trait from Virkos, now caps how many models you count as. It caps you at five, as if you were a monster, basically. Yeah. Fine, you can't put it on a vampire lord on zombie dragon and have them count as 14. Right. That's a bummer, but... It is what it is. Whatever. Uh, I think the next one's interesting you talk about here, that he can't spam Mystic Shield, Mm -hmm. but he can spam Arcane Bolt. Yes. (laughs) So that's just brutal. (laughs) Yeah, not being able to spam Mystic Shield is kind of a bummer. It's, It's one of the things that would help justify his points value. It being just short of a thousand... Yeah, it's not great. Now, the next one was funny because you went on your your strange mystery tour talking about 15 or 16 Kritzkas, whatever it is. The way it was written, yes. (laughs) And they basically changed one or two words that it's only this model. That's the word they use, Mm -hmm. this model. Yes. So Kritzka can only come back as one Kritzka. Yes. The the way that we thought it was going to be is the way it ended up. And thank goodness. Yes. Uh, (laughs) 
Now, this last one, we both right away were really thrilled about this, is that Radicar's Court, which has always been pay one price, but for all these people, including the ones you won't use, mm. the court was split up completely. Yes. And there are a couple of winners that you mentioned here. Gorslav is one. With, with zombies in your army, man, nice, powerful, getting half of them back, whatever that is. Really nice. And then the Virko's Bloodborne are the three little teenage vampires that... They're good. You pointed it out, and I, I went back after you did. I looked at their war scrolls like... That's a lot of D3s. Like, you can roll a lot of D3 dice. Yeah, so for reference, they are three attacks each, Mm -hmm. threes by threes, rend one, damage D3. So there's three of them, so that's nine attacks. Granted, they're a six-up save, but they have a five-up ward. Brendan, you get three or four of those through, you're rolling three or four D3. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of damage that's going to get through. Yeah, they are a solid nuisance unit. They are relatively fast, Yep. um, but they are relatively squishy, so you got to pick the fights in which they are going to engage. They're excellent hero hunters for those small five-wound heroes, especially Mm -hmm. ones that are on the squishier side that really do not want to be in a fight to begin with. Yeah. And then so for destruction, we only had two units that we're going to talk about here. Gloomspike gets the Loon King's ability to move the moon is no longer a command ability. It's just an ability on his war scroll. Great. Because as it was pointed out to me, it's a command ability that triggers at the start of a battle round or in between battle rounds, basically, where no one has any command points. And I was like... Well, yeah, that would be bad if they don't change that because then you can't use it. Sure. Then Giants, their Longshanks rule would now apply to charges and technically pylons, but good luck finding the situation where a three-inch pylon you need to and are able to move over models. You figure it out. I don't know. And then their Gatebreakers get plus one for the Smash to Rubble ability because they had something very similar on their War Scroll that was just natural to them, but now they get one... They just get a flat bonus. So those are the FAQs at the top level. Yep. We'll be getting an FAQ, FAQ in about a month. Yeah. We'll address that and talk about it when it comes out. And you know, we might spend some more detail in some of these other more nuanced spaces as sure. uh, more specific questions are asked to the game design team. Perfect. Great. Thanks for going through that. Hopefully, listeners, it was helpful for you. We're done with that. And again, we're going to circle around in a couple of weeks with our friend Tyler and talk about real-life experience playing in a real-life tournament with this stuff and then you know, make some after-action commentary about the things we've already talked about. But hopefully, we'll put things in perspective a little bit better for you. Mm-hmm. I think that's it, Brendan. And we are going to move on to Scriptorium. Etc., etc., etc. Brendan? Yes. New stuff. Not a lot. I I think we're fine with that. (laughs) We've got a book called Traitor Rock, and it is about a Cadian sergeant named Minka Lensk. I read her first book, which was Cadian Honor. Really good. She's a great new character. This is her second novel, and I'm listening to this one. Really good, again. Uh, But if you're a guard player or you're interested in guard and the lore, especially if you're interested in Cadia, because this is post Cadia blowing up. These Cadians are kind of like Gaunt's ghosts where their home planet is gone and they're trying to figure out their place in the universe and in the Astro Militarum and everything else. Really good stuff. And then the other thing that's out is Gotrek and Felix Book 5, Beast Slayer, that is out now on audio. 
So if you are following along with Go Trek and Felix, you've got another book to listen to. And many more in the future if they keep doing this. Many, many more. <laughs> Brendan, how about you on all this stuff? I have been grinding my way through Peaky Blinders as I've been painting. Mm-hmm. And I have started yes, season I started season four yesterday. I've really liked it. Has it grown on you? It, it has, yes. Yeah. The, there are still situations and stuff that happen where I'm like, guys, you need to... Exposition. Like, you need to explain this. <laughs> and as the seasons go on, they do get a little bit better about that. Okay. But there are intentionally some things that are supposed to be vague. Mm-hmm. But at least the things that are supposed to be vague feel like they're supposed to be vague as sure. opposed to it's just everyone's talking about it and you're just like... Uh, excuse me? (laughs) Season three was great. Okay. The one criticism I have of season three is the ending feels like they were told somewhere during filming that they were picked up again for another season or two. (laughs) It was all feeling headed towards a very specific direction. And I was like, you know, wow, like a show with real consequences. And there were still consequences, but the consequences were in such a way where I was like, Okay, there are more seasons, aren't there? (laughs) There have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Season three was great. The villains in season three, you really feel are, I don't want to say omnipotent and all-powerful, but they are on top of, you know, what it is that they're doing. Top of the food chain. Yeah, the villains in season one and season two, you feel are very, you know, beatable in, in a lot of ways. Okay. But I was halfway through season three with the villains that they're at, and I'm like... I'm like, this is like crazy. This is it. Like season, you know, whatever is next is not going to be involving most of these characters. Sure. That's my one real criticism of season three is the way is the way it went about ending. It didn't feel like it was headed for that. And it was not in like a twist ending where everyone's just like, you know, like in Game of Thrones, the Red Wedding, where you're like, you didn't see it coming that way. But when you stack up, you know, some of the things that happen, you're like, okay, I can see how we got there. Right. The other bit of it, I'm just like, (laughs) okay. Okay. Haven't been doing anything that would qualify in the reading category very much. Okay. The listening, though, I stumbled across, it's a podcast series on Spotify called Secret Societies. Okay. And... All sorts of secret societies, and the one that, you know, as I was just kind of scrolling through and it got my attention and got me to listen to it was about criminal gangs in the Los Sheriff, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Police Department. Mm. Not something I knew about. And yeah. they do a five part series about different generations of actual criminal enterprises inside mm. the Los Angeles Sheriff's Police Department. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It absolutely was. I would recommend giving it a listen because this isn't, you know, like some of these secret societies that they cover are, you know, groups that people feel have, you know, really nefarious intentions. And you're just like, okay, you know. But the sheriff's department? Actual litigated, prosecuted criminal cases in which they were able to prove beyond reasonable doubt that these were criminal enterprises operating within the sheriff's department by sheriffs. Man, that's crazy. It was it was nuts. Yeah. And some of these cases are like 
really, really recent. Like these aren't, you know, just like back in the day. You know, and here's where like a lot of those other societies are either in history or they're not things that affect you. But this is something that honestly, it kind of reminds me of most wanted when they used to have that thing where when you do that kind of exposition, it's useful information. Because then you can expose things like that. And people who are doing it are much less likely when you pull the curtain away, they're much less likely to continue that behavior. You know, and that's great. That's what it should be. That's scary. Right. Because you know, when they had it listed, I was, I was like, it's called uh, Secret Societies. Right. I'm looking at these titles and I go, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was out for a walk listening to it's the really first episode. And surprising. I was just like... I'm glad I don't have this on speakerphone because... Did you ever see the movie Serpico? No. With Al Pacino? So you might want to... Haven't watched that. You might want to watch that. Okay. Because Serpico was an undercover cop. It was kind of like internal affairs thing. Mm -hmm. But because it was... It's a New York police department. Because it was so corrupt, he was like a demon to all these police officers who were corrupt. And it, it turns out it wasn't, you know, a lot, but it was a significant number. It's enough. So you might be interested in that sometime yeah. if this interests you. Now, it's, the other parts of the podcast are yeah. kind of your more traditional, like Skull and Bones and the Illuminati and the... Or the uh, Assassins, you know. That right, yeah. The Middle East, yeah. They had the Council on Foreign Affairs. They classified <laughs> as a secret society. And oh, yeah, I was like... I, yeah, I, I can see it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're kind of pushing that one. Okay, but That's cool. I understand the position they took on that one, but yeah. I've okay. binged through all five of the ones on the sheriff's department because I thought to myself, that first episode was nuts. Like, yeah, and That's great. Yeah, so what about you, oh, Dan? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have listened to so many books, some that I'd started already, but all the modeling I've done and hobbying I've just been sitting here either with my headphones on or Cindy's been listening to some of these. She gets into them a little bit. So I finished Anarch, which is the last Gaunt's Ghost book. Mm -hmm. I just haven't listened to it for so long, and it was very cool. Straight Silver, which is, I believe, the fifth or sixth Gaunt's Ghost book. I just finished that. Double Eagle, which I was going to save for my drive to Indianapolis, but I was like, no, I'm listening to this. (laughs) So if you are at all interested in Aeronautica and the, you know, Navy and aircraft on, you know, ground level aircraft kind of stuff, dogfights and all those things. As I was listening to it, though, I would just love to ask Dad, Dan Abnett, like, did you model this after the Battle of Britain? Because stuff was happening. It was just like the Battle of Britain, like in Eagle Day in Battle of Britain. The Nazis threw like literally thousands of bombs. They threw their entire air force in one day at England. And in this book, the chaos guys threw their, there's just like thousands of bombers coming over. You're going, this is like Eagle Day. It's the (laughs) same thing. You know, and they were knocking out certain installations like the Nazis were going after certain things and they started targeting civilians. And it was just, I'm going, this is the Battle of Britain. But in 40K. Right. <laughs> anyway, it was kind of fascinating. And then I listened to the second Uriel Ventress book, which is Warriors of Ultramar. If you are at all interested in understanding the horror of a Tyranid invasion of a planet. It, she was. This is when she was listening to. She was like, "This is really gross. This is horrible." And I'm like, "Don't worry, it'll get better." <laughs> it was well, just. Well, Cindy, did it get better? No, it was a horrible. Story. <laughs> <It's> horrible. <laughs> 
it was bad. It it, it kind of it didn't really have a happy ending. It was just like one of those okay, at least this much happened. But when Tyranids invade a planet, even if you destroy the Tyranids, there's still all the stuff left over, and the planet's just totally changed. It's a great story for that. I had not listened to Sandman Slim for a long time. And this is one the plan slaying guys got me interested in. So I just finished book two, which is Kill the Dead, which makes perfect sense, of course. Just the guy narrating it sounds like the guy you picture in your head. He's just this arrogant, like troublemaker kind of guy. It just it's great. It's a great story. You know, the basic part of it is is he ended up getting sucked into hell because he was betrayed, and he ended up being like an arena warrior in hell. And now he comes back. And he's got all these skills that he learned. It's just, it's great. It's, it's good stuff. So I just finished the second book of that. I re started rereading The First Grey Knights with Alaric. I don't know, about 100 pages in. I'm hoping to take that with me on my uh, trip. Mm-hmm. And get a little bit more reading done. So that's the Dead Tree book I have. And then I watched Tomorrow War. There was a lot of, you know, reviews up and down, back and forth. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Cindy, was it? It was okay. Tomorrow War, the one with Chris Pratt. <laughs> the monsters were horrific. That was the most stressful movie. <laughs> I was just God. It, it, yeah, you should watch it. It's interesting. It, what, it's a time travel thing, and it's on Netflix. Or? It's on. Uh, it's Amazon Prime. Okay, it's Amazon Prime. I do have that. And there were just some parts of it that I mean, there was a family dynamic kind of going on. The humor they had was okay. I like J.K. The, Simmons is ripped. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that the hero was a science teacher. One of his students, a geek, you know, science student in high school, was one of the key people to solve the final problem. And that was cool. And just the graphics and the way the monsters looked and worked, they were very different than you're kind of used to seeing. One of the scenes, just like, this is hellacious, was they, basically they came back and they took people like, you or me, Brendan. It was like, we need bodies. We're going to give you a week's worth of training. We're going to send you into the future to fight these things, right? And you have people who are like, what is this? You know, it, it just, it could be anybody off the street. And they teleported you to the future and you were supposed to end up in like, they had these prearranged blocks and you ended up maybe five or 10 feet off the ground when you came in and you fell. And well, they had a malfunction when he went forward and, and there were like hundreds of people appearing out of these clouds because it was like raining and lightning you just saw hundreds of bodies just falling oh god and it was they were like 30 stories up now pratt and some people they ended up falling into the pool at the top of the roof of a 20-story building but you saw all these other people just that's not enough it was just like this is horrific those people are just falling they're gone they're done they're useless you know (laughs) and you're going this is really messed up man interesting story it's science fiction, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And overall, though, I thought it was good. It had some really cool plot twists and things like that that were cool. And so, yeah, I recommend it. Okay. That's it for me. Cool. So let's move on to this or that. Brendan? I usually give you a choice. I'll ask first. I think you've been asking first here recently. Okay. I have three Age of Sigmar questions and two mm. sports questions. Okay. So far, mm-hmm. what do you think the best 3.0 rule change has been, including <sighs> core rules, general's handbook, and FAQs? Boy, I think I like the change to the command points. 
Okay. I like that a lot. I think that is in a lot of ways, because of course there are armies that can generate an extra three or four or whatever. I get that. But at least it levels the playing field, I think, in many ways. And I think the mechanic of who goes first or second affects that as well. So I really like the change in command points. That would be my first thing. All right. At the end of our theoretical show here, Mm -hmm. of our listeners, which army was the biggest winner? You know, from from a theoretical perspective, army or unit, who or what do you think came out in great shape far ahead? You know, they went from bad to good or good to great or great to incredible or something that you never saw that now you're going to see with some measure of frequency. You know, what's from what you said, Mm -hmm. it sounds like chaos or Nurgle demons are doing very well. Okay. Sounds like they had a lot of things that are really helpful for them. More command points, more reliable command points, just some of the changes to the units and how they work. It sounds like they're going to be doing really well. I mean, and I don't know in the total context. I can only speak for myself, you know, in my army, but for they seem to be a winner okay. for sure. Yeah. All right. This one is... Only kind of technically in our question of this or that. What's your goal for Circle City? My goal is to just win at least two games. Win. Cindy's answer is win. <laughs> win. So you want to win at least two games. At least two games. And just to hang out with people. Okay. Just to have the time to hang out with people between games, at the end of the first day, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, after, just to hang out with people and roll dice again. Okay. So over to my sporting questions. Yeah. Right now... Italy and England are kicking off for the European Championship mm-hmm. in soccer. Yeah. Who is going to win, Dan? Italy. Okay. I think so. Yeah? Just I do. Any reason? You just feel it. I think the the Italians seem to be more fired up to me when I look at games or I look at press coverage, you know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. They just seem to want it more. I don't know. I mean, England's gone real far and they're pretty pumped and all that. I just don't see the same excitement. Okay. So, and a lot of, a lot of soccer is about that. It's having that motivation and, you know, the energy to win the games. So, All right. So my next question, for the listeners who don't know, Dan, many moons ago, was a college athlete at the Naval Academy. D1 football. Yeah. And uh, the military academies do require you to participate in some sort of athletic sport, typically. Every single semester. Yes. So, Dan, you used to be a collegiate athlete. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very recently, uh, between our last show and this show, the name, image, and likeness became legal with NCAA athletes to have sponsors and are allowed to be paid an unlimited amount of money Mm -hmm. for their name, image, and likeness. Mm -hmm. College, Dan, who would you have been a sponsor for? So you are allowed to be a spokesperson you are allowed to res- you be in commercials. You are allowed oh, to be in advertisements. Oh, I got it. I got it. Wh- who and what is Dan sponsoring as a collegiate athlete oh my God, back at the Brandon. Naval Academy? That's like a thousand years ago, man. Well, would it be easier if I said... It would be... That's the problem, that if I was going to do something like that, I would probably want to do it for a charitable organization so I wouldn't get paid. Well, that's fine. You know, They're allowed to take that money and do whatever they want with it. If right. they want to give money to charity they can do that if they yeah. want to you know get money and give it to their family they can do that if they want to take that money and you know build a supercar right, right. they're allowed to do that right you can do whatever you want with the money it's just how who is going to pay you the money first or, or who is going to pay you the money first or 
who would you use who, or who, what nonprofit would you be a spokesperson for to raise, to help raise funds? Your, because your name, image and likeness has value. Right. You know, what's, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously everyone was clamoring for division one football, Dan bears to be, you know, their, uh, <laughs> yes. their billboard sponsor. Second string. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> You weren't the star quarterback. You weren't. Oh, you God. and Roger Staubach weren't. Uh... I was a backup rover back. That was okay. I played a lot of games. Got a lot of game time. Oh, geez, Brennan. Um, probably back then. Mm-hmm. I think wasn't it called the Navy Relief Fund? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a charity that benefited Navy people, families of Navy people, people who were Gold Star families, things like that. So that was one that I know annually they always pushed us to give money for uh, as midshipmen. And so I would make it Navy really fun would be my, yeah, there it is. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a long, long question, but uh, it was a good question. Uh, that was a very good I, question. I get a couple of good ones every that once was a in a while. One. Yeah. So I'm going to go all over the place here. Sure. Mind. So we're playing game three of oh, the God. NBA 2021 championship. All right. Is this series going to go six or seven games, Brendan? I think it's going to go five. Not that you want it to go, but... Unless I see something really different tonight, I think this series goes five. Five games and yeah. the Bucks are going to lose you. Think. Yeah. Okay. I okay. do. I wanted to hear They're, it. So. I want the Bucks to win. Of course you do. I, of course like, you I do. really do. Yeah. I have seen nothing so far t- in this series that would indicate that they are capable of that. Okay. But maybe it changes tonight. And the next show that we have, I get to be super excited. But Okay. Oof. Pork or chicken? Um, and it could be in anything. It doesn't yeah. matter. It could be ribs. It could be chicken sandwiches. It could be anything. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Like, I prefer just, like, regular chicken, right? Just for yeah, like normal big meals. big chicken, yeah. But, like specialty pork things right like ribs and pork chops mm. Mm. i'm much more keen on that but those are special occasions so i'll go with just chicken chicken okay yeah. all right in sigmar 3.0 mm-hmm. i'm gonna ask a similar question okay what's the one thing you like the most and what's the one thing you like the least oh boy the thing i like the least is war scroll battalions going away yeah i still do not think that they had a sufficient replacement for each individual army will see what these new battle tomes look like mm-hmm. if every book gets war scroll battalion or not war scroll core battalions or core battalion modifications that you know will suitably give them that replacement i mean but, i wept almost wept when death riders went away as good as it was for me oh god yeah i really genuinely wish that they would have given a more immediate replacement for everybody so that is my least favorite thing okay my favorite thing is all the command points you get yeah yeah i love that i feel like i am able to build more armies because one of my criticisms of the soul blight book that we saw when we when we had it without the context of 3.0 was Mm -hmm. you need a lot of command points Mm -hmm. to do some of the stuff that you want to do with that army and now you do now you do have all the command points sure so that's great hooray good stuff Two major events were once again canceled this year. I'm not counting Summerfest September 2021. Mm-hmm. So Summerfest, normal Summerfest was canceled. Okay. State Fair was canceled. Okay. Which one would you rather have back this summer of the two? Oh, that's tough because I really like the idea of Summerfest being in September where it's a little bit cooler. Okay. okay. I really don't like the State Fair. Okay. <laughs> like, I've been twice... It's just not for me. 
Okay. So I am not in any way, shape, or form heartbroken that the state fair is gone. I guess I'll take Summerfest back in its normal spot, but I love that it's like September. In fall, spread it, out. It's not quote unquote summer anymore. Well. Uh, it technically, right, is just barely. But I guess like. Okay. No, that's good. It's all good stuff. I'll, I'll take September Fest. Okay. <laughs> right. And I'll, uh, I'll start my own concert series in September. Then the last <laughs> Call it September Fest. <laughs> we'll hold it in the exact same place. We'll hold it at the Summerfest Fairgrounds, uh, and it'll be very confusing. <laughs> the last one is between heroic actions and monstrous rampage. Which would you rather have if you only had one? If I only had one, I will take heroic actions. Mm-hmm. Because the extra command point and the healing are really important to keep your characters alive and ticking and doing the things that you want to. Granted, the extra command point's only a four up, but it comes in so valuable. Sure. So often when you have it. Mm-hmm. You just have it in your pocket. You made that charge. You didn't need to use it for a reroll. Cool them in. I've only got two command points left. I'll use all out attack or all out defense on this guy. I'll spend the point over here on this one, and then I'll save this point for battle shocking instead of this, you know, this hero not getting anything at all. Well, in our last game, it kept the game going at least for another turn. When, yes. When my knight, when my chain rest didn't run. Yes. Yep. And I, yeah, that was very valuable. So I'd, I'd have to. Yeah. If if you didn't spend that point, game over. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very much so. That's it then. We're done with all our questions. Yeah. So over to. Show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. All right, so that's it for episode 77. Next up, episode 78, as we've talked about a couple times, uh, Tyler Emerson's going to be on with us, and we're going to do a post-tournament discussion on Circle City Clash, the first AOS 3.0 event that Dan and I will have attended. Tyler's been playing a bunch of games on his own, and... Obviously, you guys really enjoy having him tune in once a year to talk about new additions and new handbooks and prognosticating about what all of this means into the future for this game. After that, this third part of our three-part series of Age of Sigmar 3.0, we're going to be talking strategies, tactics, endless spells, uh, deep dive. So we're going to be discussing battle plans, battle tactics, grand strategies, army construction, lessons learned, looking forward, things to keep in mind, and continue to compile all of this information that we've been you know, consuming Ideally, hopefully, the FAQ FAQ is going to be out and sure. and that can be rolled into it. Otherwise, you know, that'll be um, kind of a compilation of, okay. you know, what, what at that point will be close to six weeks of spend, spending time with yeah. this new edition. Great. And by then, you'll be tired of us talking about 3.0 and it'll be time we'll have to new talk handbooks about... <laughs> or new, uh, new uh, battle tomes to discuss. Sigmar Marines and... Which uh, and old both Orocs. also might be multi-part series. Yeah, and That's true. I don't know if we can keep doing this, Dan. <laughs> I don't know if I have it in me to... <laughs> yes, you can. Where every show is a half a show and in reality there's six-hour podcasts about the same topic. <laughs> I like to talk, but... <laughs> I don't know if I can talk about the same thing, though. We could do half of the Stormcast 
And then we could do half of orcs, and then come back to the second half. of Oh no, <laughs> we have already done that show, and it's uh, and we it's, know it's, it's bad. bad. Yeah, it's bad. All right, I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no reason to be. Okay, that's it, listeners. Thanks for joining us once again, and we hope you're having a great summer as the world begins to uh, open up again. And we hope you're staying safe, staying healthy, and we will see you next time around. Bye. This is the end.